We've got a mega podcast this week. We've got two guests that we didn't even mention in the intro. After the regular pod, first up is Pete Julian, the head coach of the Nike Union Athletics Club and the host of this weekend's Lilac Grand Prix in Spokane, Washington, which is a World Athletics silver meeting meet. Pete previews the meet, talks about how the qualifying game for the World Championships has changed, why it's so important to have a World Athletics silver label, and gives us an update on the Union Athletics Club. Donovan Brazier, Raven Rogers, Jordan Hase updates, plus he tells us how to beat a thing mo at 800 meters. And then after that, we have what I'm calling the Where Your Dreams Become Reality segment with Andrew Colley, who was second at the USA Cross Country Championships to make Team USA for Australia after eight years in running wilderness. This guy has struggled with injuries. It's a very inspiring story. You can learn what Andrew and the Zap Fitness team did to get him back at the top of the sport. And if you like this mega podcast, you'll love the Let's Run.com Supporters Club because you'll get two podcasts every week. You're not really a running insider if you're not a Supporters Club member. In our second podcast this week, we'll preview the Lilac Grand Prix, the 5000s in Boston, the North Sander Invitational. There's tons of weekend action. All that weekend action is talked about in the second podcast, only available to Supporters Club members. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. And if you're really a sports fan, you need a VPN. Remember, NordVPN is the VPN of choice of let'srun.com. We used this even before they paid us to talk about it. It is super easy. With the click of one button, you can have an IP address in whatever country you want to be in. You're on Twitter. These highlights aren't available in your location. Boom. Five seconds later, they are. Check it out. Let'srun.com slash VPN. We've got timestamps in the show notes for when Pete and Andrew join the pod. We're big fans of World Cross, but what made what made you want to be on that team instead of doing a track season? Have you seen how sick the USA singlets are? Um, how incredible of experience it is to represent your country in a race? I mean, like, that's exactly what it is. Like, I want to run for Team USA someday, like on the Olympic team or a world team. And I feel like a junior team is exactly how you get there. I cannot be more thrilled about this opportunity. Hello, track fans. Are you thrilled to be here this week? We sure hope so. Welcome to Track Talk the weekly track and field podcast from Let's Run.com, the home of running fans. If you're not coming to Let's Run.com each and every day, you need to step your fandom up. Watch out, Jacob Britson. There's a 16-year-old Aussie running sub four in the mile. It's a new year, and once again, Shakari Richardson is in the news, and once again, for the wrong reasons. Emmanuel Bohr, Edna Kurgut, Irene Riggs, and Leo Young, who you just heard from, all won titles at the USA Cross Country Championships. We'll break down the winners and losers from Richmond. Jonathan Galt has the inside scoop on why the OAC athletes are skipping world cross country. Plus, Jonathan Galt's sister has bought tickets to a pro track. Is this meat so good? You should do the same. This is Robert Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my, my identical twin, co-founder Weldon Johnson, as well as ace staff writer Jonathan Galt. And we'd be love to be joined by you. Pick up the phone. Join the show, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Good to be here, guys. 
lot to talk about. How is everybody? I'm doing well. Uh, commiserations to you guys about Dallas Cowboys coming up short in the Super Bowl quest. But I hope that you guys still had a good weekend. We had USA Cross Country. And I got to say, I really enjoy when Robert reads the intros. A little inside baseball here. Sometimes I will write the introduction to the show. And sometimes Robert will write the introduction to the show. And when Robert does it, his love for Let's Run.com really comes across. He always emphasizes that we are the place for running fans. And if you're not here, you know, what are you doing? Can you really call yourself a fan of the sport? I just appreciate that. I love a man who's passionate. Robert's passionate about Let's Run.com. So very excited to talk track with you guys once again. Johnny, it's a little hard with the sell. You want to undersell things. But commiserate with the Dallas Cowboys, John. The Dallas Cowboys have just concluded their most successful season in 27 years. How can Cowboy fans be upset? This is as good as we've done in 27 years. You can't be too disappointed in that, John. And we're now giving Devin Allen a chance. Devin Allen was spotted on the sideline this weekend. He's on the Philadelphia Eagles. As a Cowboy fan, oh man, I can't really root for the Eagles. But if, as long as Devin's on the team, I guess I can root for, for Devin Allen. I mean, practice squad players can be elevated to the roster. We don't hope for injuries on Let'sRun.com, but it's a possibility. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I was like, what is the way Devin Allen can play in the Super Bowl? It would be in Arizona, his home state. It would be quite a story, but you probably need A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, a couple injuries to the wide receiver core, which no one really wants to see. And i got to say, well, that's very sad that the Dallas Cowboys – most successful season in almost 30 years ends with them scoring 12 points and Zeke Elliott playing center and getting obliterated with, and then immediately Dak Prescott dumping off this. I don't know what you would call this play, but it was just annihilated immediately by Jimmy Ward. It was over before it even started. Can people quit talking about the play? The end of the game last year was much worse and much more in a winnable game. We had 80 yards to go. At least they tried something unique. Like the fact people were focusing on this play and not the fact that Mike McCarthy didn't go for it on like fourth and six in the third quarter when all the advanced stats go for it. In the fourth quarter, when it's fourth and 10, you're actually supposed to go for it there. Doesn't do it. Jerry, hire me. I'll do the analytics for you. Well, I think it's extremely rich that Jonathan Galt is telling us, the Patriots fan, how to run the last play Hail Mary you play the the genius Bill Belichick play against the Jets or who was that John where you laddled it to the other team? It wasn't against work. the Raiders. That was not the coaching stuff though. That was Jacoby Myers making a dumb move in the just out of instinct. That was like literally Dallas. That was their play. They had drawn up. They took all this time to draw it. Look, that's not why they lost. Obviously, I mean Dalton Schultz not getting out of bounds and he made a couple of dumb mistakes on the last drive. But there are many other reasons why they lost other than that lost play. But the lost play clearly didn't work. Enough football talk. If the Cowboys actually made the NFC Championship game, I would talk for like 10 minutes about football. But let's bring this back to track. And how about this connection? What is Devin Allen most known for in the sporting world now? I think you're suggesting it would be his full start at Worlds. Is that what he's most known for? I no. He's most known for being a two-sports star and not in the NFL. I'm sorry. That's how it works these days. Not running, what, the number three time ever in the hurdles? Yeah. But this past year, at least, in the track and field world, he's probably not known for that. He's known for getting DQ'd at Worlds in very questionable circumstances. And there are lots of other people. He was the most prominent one, but there are a lot of other DQs that people just overlooked. 
Julian Alfred, who now runs for University of Texas, she ran 702, collegiate record in the 60 at altitude. She's got the top three, three of the top four all-time times in 60. Huge talent. Commonwealth Games silver medalist, I think, in the 100. But at Worlds, she didn't make the final. You know why? She was DQ'd in the semis. Right. World Athletics owes us, owes the fans for integrity. They care about the integrity of the sport. All of this doping, Athletics Integrity Unit, get on this. I assume her DQ, I need to just double check this, but was because of the whatever happened with the timing blocks or something. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be investigated. And athletes need a response. And I would argue they need to be compensated as well. We need to check in with Paul Doyle, see if anything's going on with that. Because I do think that if this is where World Athletics leaves it, that they basically said the same timing system was in place for the last three worlds, nothing's changed. That's not how this debacle can end. We need to actually have an explanation because as Robert has shown with a bunch of different articles, something was very different at the 2022 Worlds compared to previous global championships, compared to the USA championships on that same track a month earlier. Athletes like Devin Allen and Julian Alfred and fans of the sport deserve answers. So yes, I hope something's coming on that well then, but we don't have an update right now. Let's put it late on the sprint talk, but I want to make one thing clear. I'm not sure if Weldon connected everything. People may not know. The reason why we brought up Julian Alfred after talking about Devin Allen is because, like Allen, she was also DQ'd, I think, unfairly at Worlds. Her, D, her reaction time was 0.095, so five one-thousandths of a second, quote-unquote, too fast. Allen's was 0.099, one one-thousandth too fast. But last week, she's the NCAA 100-meter champion for Texas, superstar at the collegiate ranks. And last week, she continued to show how good she is by running a 702 collegiate record. That actually happened last week. So it's topical. Now let's move, Robert, to the USA Cross Country Championships. They were this past weekend. That is where you heard the great quote from Leo Young, the high school star at the top of the show, saying what all of us running fans and what we at Let'sRun.com on the podcast have been preaching for the last few weeks. He wants to wear the USA singlet. He wants to compete against the world best in a world championship. Love to hear that attitude. He ran a terrific race to beat a bunch of collegians and win the U.S. under-20 title. Robert, you were there on Saturday at the 2023 USATF Cross-Country Championships in Richmond. What did you learn? What were your takeaways from being there, boots on the ground? In terms of competition, I was most excited to see the junior races. I always want to see the best of the best competing. What makes the sport compelling is when the best athletes are competing with high stakes with something on the line. There was something on the line. There were six spots in the junior boys and junior girls races. We pretty much had a lot of the big names there. So that's what I wanted to see, and, and, and they delivered. It was really sun- good to see Leo Young sort of exercise the demons from NXN and, and get the win against the Cleagians. I thought he ran a really super smart race. Like at NXN, people are like, why was he that aggressive into the wind? Here he's like 17th place in the back, works his way through the field doesn't lead to the very end, lets the two collegians battle it out, and then he just kicks for the win. Super smart racing. Super smart. And then to see that post-race comment, that was what I was most proud of and most excited about was, okay, these guys get it. They understand what it's about. The same thing on, on the women's side. 
Irene Riggs, she was the NXN champion. We had her racing the Foot Locker champion. Carrie Beloga. They both make the team. Beloga's fifth, but there's no doubt who was the best high school cross-country winner this year. Now, I mean, Irene Riggs had a higher speed rating during the season, and she proved why here. She gets the win, 1945. But the same thing in the junior race. Talking to the girls afterwards, they were pumped to be on the world's team. I mean, I talked to Zero Micaiah, the winner from last year. She won it as a freshman. Now, not that many. The field wasn't that deep last year. She's third this year, and she's just like so excited. I'm like, you know, what made you want to do this meet? And she's like, well, I had heard about it several years ago. But it shows that USATF needs to promote this meet better. I mean, not only like she found out at the meet about this meet last year. She claimed four days before it happened, signed up, and ended up winning it. So, just a cool story. She's pumped. She was, she was just. You remember she's what a, it's like to. She's a freshman in high school, Robert. Last year, sophomore in high school. Yeah. But it reminded me just talking to them, like, you're finding out about the sport. It's new. They might not even know what Let's Run is. She's like, excuse me, is this going to be posted anywhere? Where is it going to be? I was like, go to the Let's Run.com YouTube channel. But she was talking about how last year she got to cool down with Molly Seidel or some of these pros, and it was just a lot of fun. It just it brought me back to when you're young and you're dreaming big and you want to represent the country. And then – I don't know the pro ranks. I don't. Everybody wants to represent the country, but the qualifying system and the contracts and everything gets in the way of it. Because my heart tells me that everything being equal, if we didn't have to worry about qualifying for worlds or qualifying for the Olympics, Dathan Ritzenheim, coach of the OAC, a former cross country star himself, would want his athletes at the worlds at the pro level. Grant Fisher would want to be at Worlds and he would go to Worlds at the pro level. But for some reason, whatever reason, these pro fields weren't that weren't that strong. But it was great to catch up with all these Army guys because I really kind of got to bond with them during COVID when they had those American record attempts in the Indoor 5000. They were excited to see me. I was excited to see them. Um, you know, John, you, you've kind of become, you've got the cell phone number of their coach, Heron Lagat, who coaches a lot of them. Scott Simmons coaches a lot of them too. But just talking to him throughout the race and how fit these guys were, that was exciting too. Yeah, it's interesting, Robert, because while cross country, I think if you talk to a lot of American distance pros, it's always something they say, oh, it would be a cool race to do. I'd like to find a way to do it. But then the realities of the sport hit. Oh, well, I need to get my qualifying time. I need to, you know, the Olympics is coming up. I need to make sure I'm focusing on that or that sort of thing. I guess that's, excuse that we'll have next year but ideally if we had like one if this was a professional league right if this is the nfl or the nba the powers that be would design the sport in such a way that all the top athletes get to compete at it they would say this is a marquee event and we're going to structure the sport in such a way that we'll have our top athletes running world cross country in the spring and then they will run the world champ cross sorry the world championships on the track in the summer but because there are all these different moving parts different incentives shoe contracts all that sort of stuff we don't have the sport that way and we only have the athletes who really want to make it a big priority or who aren't quite good enough to make the Olympics, but say, hey, I can make a world cross-country team. They're the ones who end up going. So I applaud all the athletes who did show up. 
Uh, someone like Emmanuel Bohr certainly is good enough to meet the Olympics. So I'm glad that he showed up and ran it. But it's also interesting, Robert. I think one of the reasons, one of the incentives for Emmanuel is he thinks he can be top 10 at World Cross. And it used to be you finish top 15 at World Cross. That counts as the Olympics, no, sorry, it's the World Championship standard in the 10K. But what athletics changed the rules this time around, that actually isn't the case. And it sounds like even Huron Lagar and Emmanuel weren't totally sure what they weren't totally aware of that rule when they qualified on Saturday. Is that right? Yeah, it was shocking. So afterwards, you know, I, I, well, during the race, I'm talking to Heron Lagarde, the coach of Emmanuel Bohr, and, you know, he's talking about how fit he is. Both he, he and Emmanuel mentioned the word 58 minutes when referring to a half marathon shit fitness, 58, 50, one of them said 58, 59, one of them said, I think 58, maybe they said 59, but definitely sub 60 American record for how many years, 15 years, 20, 59, 43. So I want to see that record go. And there was some talk. Well, we talked. We thought about going Houston. We thought about going to the ten thousand qualifier of the Sound Running event in a couple weeks, but we decided to do this. And it was kind of clear they, like Boris said, I would like to be top ten at World Cross. And then like got the coach said, talked about top ten. He said top fifteen. And I was like, I wonder if he's saying top fifteen because he thinks that gets you the qualifier. And it sounded like they did. I'm like, it's no longer working that way. It's the top eight in the cross country world rankings that are no longer, that aren't qualified any other way. And he did not know that. And I just thought, this is a failure on a sport. Now, like, I'm like, he's like, what? Y'all need to write an article on this. I'm like, well, we're trying to, but it's pretty complicated. We did mention it on the podcast. I was just like, I don't know if this is a failure on World Athletics parts, USATF's part, or what, but it's sad that the U.S. champion, who's run 13 flat in the 5,000, who thinks he's in that shape, if not better, a big goal of his to break 13 flat, may not qualify for Worlds in the 10,000 because he goes to World Cross Country. That's the reality. Because he would he's not going to have a World Cross Country ranking because this is his only race. Last year he was in the Army, didn't do sound running in December, and he runs Worlds. That'll be two races. He needs three races just to get a ranking. And even if he did three, it may not be high enough because people are getting – people that get like fifth in some random Spanish World Athletics race would be ranked higher than him. So I really hope he goes to Worlds – on the track in the 10,000. He almost made it in the 10 and the five last year. I hope he has a, a, a kick-ass 2023. Like, win U.S. cross, do well at Worlds, make a Worlds team on the track, break 13 minutes, and get that half marathon record. I think those are all possibilities this year for this guy. So, um, but in terms of the actual race, he breaks it open really early. Those of you who didn't watch. So, I think before 5K, he's out in the zone and Heron Lagat's like, I'm like, what's he doing? He's like, well, it's a little early, but I told him if he felt good, he could do it. He's not known for having a kick. And these guys did come back on him, John. I mean, they were more than 10 seconds down, and they only finished up four seconds back. So I was afraid that he was going to go from hero to zero. But not only did he stay in the lead, stay on the team, he also got a much-deserved win. Yeah, and that can happen, right? When you have one guy breaking away, but then there were – Six guys battling for the remaining five spots on the team. They roll together for basically the entire rest of the race. When that happens, they're all going to be kicking against each other and speeding up. Emmanuel Bohr, he doesn't have anyone to kick against. So unless he's totally broken everyone, and that wasn't... I mean, I guess he did end up gapping them. They didn't catch him. But Heron Lagarde told you he didn't want him to try to extend the lead. He just wanted to build a lead and then maintain it. And if you're trying to do that, 
they're going to try to run you down at the end because they're kicking against each other. It didn't quite happen. And it ended up, that kick didn't really matter because Reed Buchanan, who was seventh by about half a second, he's actually going to World Cross because Leonard Correa turned down his spot. So all of those guys wound up making it. But it was in the moment, you were like, wow, this is amazing because there's five, there's six guys kicking for five spots on the team. And the one other point I just wanted to make about the top 15 thing, I can understand why coaches and athletes aren't aware of this because I've been talking to some agents and coaches about this new qualifying system for Worlds next year in the 10,000 with these eight spots going to people on their World Cross Country ranking. Most of them them aren't aware of these new changes. They haven't looked at the system thoroughly because World Athletics, they did send out a press release on this in August, but I think some people may have missed it. There were also some of the changes weren't totally clearly explained. And even us on our podcast, we were saying, oh, if you're running the 10K and you want to qualify for Worlds, you should just run World Cross. You can get the standard there. We, we thought that was the case as a couple of weeks ago because that is usually the case in World XC years. But no, it's actually not. And you need to either have the auto standard or you need to have a high World Cross country ranking because it doesn't look like there's going to be many spots where you're just getting in off your 10,000 ranking. And the thing that's convoluted about this, in some ways I think it's good because it makes people run cross country, but then at the other time I'm like, shouldn't they somehow combine it with your 10,000? But it's really hard because time doesn't mean anything in cross country. But like, what if some of these top Africans, right now on the women's side, like 34-minute 10K girls would be qualifying based on this ranking? But what if some of the top African runners from Kenya and Ethiopia just say, you know what, I'm not going to bother breaking 27 flat. You know, I'm already, I'm ranked third in cross country, so they might start taking up the spots by just not having to run the track race. So in some ways, it could just go to all studs again. I don't know. It, it's kind of complicated. It's kind of, it's even hard for us to explain. Okay, a couple of things. World Athletics failed here. John, these rules were so complicated. We read them over multiple times. People, I was talking to athletes that sound running me. They're like, I think, my cross country points apply to the 10,000. If you're trying to reward big performances, you should reward world cross country. This is crazy. You go run these obscure cross country meets and it's how you get to worlds. I was just here checking the world athletics calendar. Like winning the U S championships is worth like no points. Yeah. I have the equivalence here. The U S champion in cross country, it's equivalent to finishing 12th at a World Athletics cross-country tour gold meet, of which there are 16 on the schedule for this season, or finishing 32nd at World Cross Country. I do actually like that World Cross Country gives you a lot of points because the top American at World Cross in 2019 finished 34th on the men's side and 32nd on the women's side. So having 32nd equivalent to first at USA Cross, that actually does make sense. But the crazy thing is, like, if Emmanuel Bohr wants to go to Worlds via the cross-country route, he needs to start booking plane tickets. He needs to run. I would advise not running the cross-country meet in Kenya. That's going to be harder. Go run the Grand Premio Caceres Campo Atraves cross-country meet February 5th in Spain. That's a gold-level meet. Do well in that. Run World Cross-Country Championships. And then there's a meet in Portugal on February 26th. He does that. He might get enough points. But, John, now I see on the schedule, there's a thing called the NACAC Cross-Country Championships. That's the North American and Caribbean cross-country. It's actually worth a lot of points. We had heard this thing had been canceled. Now I see TBC for February 25th. 
So they may schedule it. If they schedule that, John, that's probably his easiest way to run the track. Oh, he needs to run that. Yeah. I, the problem is that's one week after World Cross in Australia. I mean, he'd still he'd be one of the best guys there because he's the, the U.S. champ. This calendar is just ridiculous. The other thing is, though, maybe he should just skip running the track worlds. He's in 58-minute shape. Go get the American record in the half marathon. The other thing you guys haven't mentioned, he doesn't have a sponsor, right? He does not. Because he's in the Army or not? No. Uh, previously, when he was in the WCAP program, I don't think they allowed him to have a sponsor. I think you can have a sponsor. He's still enrolled in the Army. He's a second lieutenant. But I, I, yeah, I'm actually not sure. I think you can have a sponsor. Kerry Tollefson kept saying on the broadcast on Saturday how he was unsponsored, but he was hoping to get a sponsor. So I believe he can have a sponsor even though he's still in the Army. Well, actually, my plan was foiled because I was like, he's unsponsored. This guy needs to wear the Let's Run.com singlet. <laughs> Break the American record in the singlet. I'll pay him five grand for that. But... We support the army here. Maybe we can maybe we can sponsor with the work with the army. I'm I'm with you, Weldon. I was thinking, wow, I'd rather see him break the American record in the half than one Rolls on the track. But then I said, wait a minute. I'm now guilty of what I'm criticizing the Barrowman Track Club and the OAC for doing, which is skipping meets of importance to run time trials for time qualifiers. So I I realized that. I was the same way as you. I'm like, dude, what's the point of going to Worlds and getting smoked? When you can get the half marathon record, that one may not last that long. But it's not that easy to get the ranking on the men's side. Like, I'm looking at the last ranked guy getting on, on quota. He was second in some Spanish cross. Abdemesen Ocahelfen of Spain is, he was second in some random Spanish cross country meet, fifth in another and tenth. So he's got three in the top ten. But it's an absolute joke that winning this, getting fifth at the sound running meet or getting 11th at the sound running meet was worth more than winning this U.S. cross-country title. Like, no. That's not fair. But it's just, it, it's very hard to do. Let's hope that Emmanuel gets in. Um, but John, I think you need a text agent. He really doesn't, I mean, the coach, he doesn't understand this. You need to explain, well, someone, by the end of the day, somebody needs to text him. You probably should go to one of these races and then go to NACX. And then he'll get in. Because I'm pretty confident. You get a lot of bonus. Winning NACX is worth way more than these gold meets. No, no, no. NACX and the gold meets are equivalent. They're on the same level. But obviously, NACAC's going to be easier to win. Well, it actually depends. Some of these gold meets aren't that aren't super deep. And there's 16 of them. Eight are in Spain. Like Spanish athletes, if you look at the qualifying athletes in the 10,000, Spain has like two or three athletes on the men's and women's side just because it's more convenient for them to run all of these races. John, the Spanish meet, the same weekend there's a meet in Kenya, and they're both gold level. You run the Spanish meet. Oh, my God. All the Kenyans... There won't be any Kenyans at it, I assume. That's the one to run. But Yeah, and it won't be at altitude either. Enough of this technical qualifying talk that just turned off half our visitors. We have an uplifting story. I don't think you mentioned it in the intro, Rojo. Andrew Cauley, second place finisher. Sure. He's what I'm calling the where your dream is to become reality athlete. Interview with him coming up. Haven't talked to him yet, but big breakthrough. He made World Cross in 2015. Then a lot of dark years, injuries. I'm sure we all can relate to that before storming back and making the team this year. He's actually running really well. So we've got him and Pete Julian, coach of the Union Athletics Club, who's putting on the, is it the Wildlife Grand Prix? Is that the name of it, John? That is the name of the meet on Friday at the podium in Spokane, Washington. Great indoor facility that opened last year. I and mean, there's huge action this weekend. We got... This meet, you know, you got 
Cole Hawker on a 3K with no prize money, but great 800s, 1500s, $2,500 for first place in all these races. Um, we've got the Norm Sander meet at the Armory, uh, where Sage Herda Klecker will be going for an American record. You got Caitlin Tui, Men's Miles, pretty good. You got the BU 5K this weekend on Friday. We're going to have a th- Thursday podcast. Our Supporters Club only podcast. If you like this, you'll like that even more. You need more podcasts. Join the Supporters Club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. It's how you get all the action. Last week's Friday 15, we broke down Peter Bull getting testing positive for EPO. We're going to have more on that. But if you're only listening to one podcast a week from us, you're missing half, you know, half the show, essentially. Well, a few comments. When we have Pete on, we've got to ask him about promoting meets because I was pumped to be there. I was really pumped to run into old coaching friends of mine. Sal Mark Coogan. I heard Chris Fox was there. I didn't see him. Andre Williams, former good runner of our era. A lot of big names. Kira D'Amato, I had a cool talk with her. She still wants to get that American record back from Emily Sisson. Check that interview out on YouTube. But to be honest, I was disappointed by the turnout. The atmosphere was not great. Like It's like one-tenth as intense as an NCAA cross-country. Like, you're at a, like a, someone compared it. Well, I guess I'll t- compare who, who said it, but I was going to say someone compared it to a junior. The atmosphere was equivalent to a junior high meet in Oklahoma. So if you know who was there, you probably know who told me that. But um, look, it was in, it was a flat park. They were doing circles. So I, I you know, the, 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 on the preview for the race, and I get it. Sometimes you want to make the, the qualifying course easy so you don't tire the people out in three weeks. But they were running a loop around this field, basically, a 2K loop. It was very easy to see. And they had a they had a, score, a TV screen in the middle. So we were all in the middle. Just A lot of people were standing in the middle, didn't move at all. You could run across and see them two or three times. But stand in the middle and just watch the USATF broadcast if you wanted to. But course was described pre-race to me as the upper course includes very spectator-friendly. European-style grass loops running along the perimeter of the upper fields from the west side. There was nothing European-style about this race. I mean, maybe a 2K loop, but this thing was like a track meet on grass. It was pretty flat. I mean, there was a, there was a, a slight hill, but it was, I mean, the men's winner told me he thought they might break 28 minutes on it, <laughs> and they ended up running like 2840. But I just, I Pete Julian one time was the meet director for USA Cross in Boulder. And it was an epic deal. I remember this like, what, 10, 12 years, 13, 15 years ago? I don't know how many years ago it was. It seemed like everybody was there, thousands of fans. And it was kind of the pre-internet era. I don't think this race – actually, the race was broadcast on the internet because I kind of remember some streams of it. But I don't know what Pete did to make that big. And I mentioned this to Weldon off air, and Weldon's like, well, it was a lot easier because all the big names were there, right, Weldon? I don't need Weldon to look up the research. I have it right in front of me. February 10th, 2017. Let's run.com headline. Boulder 2007, a legendary day in U.S. cross-country his- history. Dina Castor dominates Alan Culpepper surprises. But you basically had all of the great Colorado alums on the men's side. Adam Goucher, Dathan Ritzenheim, Jorge Torres, Adam- Alan Culpepper. And guess who won? It was sort of the least accomplished cross-country run of them in the collegiate ranks. Culpepper won it. You- on the women's side, you had Dina Castor, Shailene Flanagan, Kara Goucher, Lauren Fleshman, Katie McGregor, Elva Dreyer, on and on. Dina Castor just crushed it. She won by a full minute. She beat 
Shalene Flanagan by a full minute. What a, what an epic race. But I don't know if it's just the big names, but I'm looking at the photos. I mean, the crowd is like literally six, seven deep at the finish line. Just looks epic. So maybe Pete should quit coaching and go into meat promotion because this was nothing like that in terms of atmosphere. You know what I just discovered? They had a USA cross country in 2015 also in Boulder. Nobody remembers that one. Wasn't nearly as big of a deal. You didn't have all the all the uh, Colorado alums. You had Dathan Ritzenheim in third in that one. But the reason I know this one is because Andrew Colley was seventh. Made his first Worlds team in that one. Because I think Ritz didn't go to Worlds that year. But it shows you need the biggest and the best in a storyline. That one was built. It's like Dina's there. She'd had so much success. And all the Colorado studs are going to go head to head for the first time ever. Like people wanted to be there. But, but they must have promoted it. I didn't even know they had it in 2015. I remember being just so pumped for 27. They had a, a lot of promotion for it somehow. And the, and the fans picked up. So, I mean, again, I think there's more entertainment options every year. It's harder and harder to get people to show up for stuff. I was debating maybe they should. Robert, what, even... let's, let's not pretend that 2007 was like 1945 and there weren't options. Like, this isn't that long ago. So I'll link to that article in the uh, show notes. But let's talk about the women's race. We've got Colleen and Pete Julian on. This is why we need a, a woman staff runner. I always like to chide John for being a little bit sexist. But we probably should have had one. If we're having a Where Your Dreams Become Reality segment, how about one of these six women? All six women had never made a U.S. team before. They all make it. They were all super pumped to make it. And going in, we pretty much expected a former New Mexico NCAA cross-country champion to win it, and that's exactly what happened. But it wasn't Wayne Colotti. Um, she was beaten by 32 seconds. She finished fifth. Edna Kerr got her best win as a pro, dominates the field, 32-07. Kena Morley second. Emily Durgan third. Emily Lapari fourth. Colotti fifth. And Katie Izzo takes the sixth spot. Great day for Terrence Mahan and Adidas. He coaches Emily Durgan, Emily Lopardi, and Katie Izzo. They live in three different cities. They all made the team. So it was fun to see that. Kurgot was really excited to be an American and representing this team, said all the, all the, rice, all the nice things. So, um, you know, excited to have six women on a team that are, that, are, that are excited about it. Kurgot's win was impressive. Like Emmanuel Bohr, she broke away mid-race, and unlike Emmanuel Bohr, she just – kept expanding that lead. She won by 17 seconds in the end. And obviously a surprise, the margin of victory, because this is a woman who last year on the track, she was 16th in the 10,000 at USA's and 14th in the 5,000 at USA. She was a great cross-country runner in college, but there wasn't really anything to indicate that in January 2023, she was going to show up and dust everyone. Obviously, you didn't have the likes of Elise Cranny or Carissa Schweizer or Alicia Monson in this race, which helps, but still going to give credit. That was a terrific run for her. Kaladi was only fifth. She's the one everyone thought going in. I think afterwards we found out she was kind of banged up. She said she, I don't think she had run since Tuesday. And there was some snow and flag stuff. I think maybe she, that had been tough for her to keep training. So, I mean, you can run on the treadmill, but I think the tr- running on the treadmill and the slippery roads and flag stuff did her no favors. I think if she can get healthy for World Cross a month from now, 
she'll be the top American in that race, but she wasn't a hundred percent. So for her to just make the team, I think was, was a successful day given what she was working with on the day. Okay. Having lived in Flagstaff, promoted Flagstaff, you guys can determine what you want to call me about Flagstaff. I, I couldn't get the too much snow and you can't run. You can literally drive 45 minutes in Flagstaff and be at 3,000 feet. No, no, no. She, I, I don't think she was... Sorry, I misphrased that. It's not that she couldn't run, but I think she may have done one run outside in the snow and runs on the treadmill. She was already kind of banged up. Like It, it didn't make it impossible to run. It made it more challenging than to either drive or run indoors. But the bigger thing is she was hurt. Okay, that makes sense. And Robert, I posted on the forums who should be the Warrior Dreams to become reality athlete. More people said Andrew Cauley. McKenna Morley, she was 10th at the Chicago Marathon last year, granted 230. She's run 31, like 25, I think. That's a better performance than Andrew Cauley, what he's done. I mean, he snuck on a World Cross team his first year by getting seventh. Somebody gave up a spot. I mean, it's good to make a, a cross team right off the bat out of college, but he's had a couple thirds at U.S. Championships. He's run a 212 marathon. Two, well, it depends on how, right, it depends on how, on how you define it. 230 but, may be more competitive on the women's side, but it's not. 212 is a lot closer to the, to the world record than 230 is. But 3125 is way better than any one other one of those. No questions asked. Like, it's, it's a better performance. I'll say this. I knew McKenna Morley was still running, that she was a pro athlete entering this race. I didn't know Andrew Colley was still active in the sport of running. And then I see him getting second in that race. So that, to me, I think they were both surprises. But the Colley one surprised me more. McKenna Morley was top 10 at NCAA Cross 2018. Colley, That's shocking, John, because he was seventh at the US 5K Championships in New York last year. You were there. Correct? I was there. I was... I was following Abdi Hamid Noor and watching him almost run into me as he made the finish line. I, I guess I wasn't paying attention when the seventh place across the finish line. Well, then <laughs> I think the problem was I wasn't there. So you're the only guy there to cover it. So you're talking to the first place guy. Yeah. I mean, what do you remember who was seventh in that race on the women's side? I mean, after the top three, it's a 5k road race in November after the top three, I kind of just ignore, I know Jenny Simpson was about 16th, but Unless you're a big name, I'm not really following, you know, who's finishing down the field. In terms of this women's race, I thought it was great to see Kurgot take this big step forward. And Morley and Durgan, second and third, were interesting to me in the sense of Morley's the 230 marathoner. I think that was her marathon debut. So is that strength worth paying off now? And the same thing for Durgan. I, I was standing in the mix zone with, with David Monte, the former elite uh, coordinator for the New York City Marathon and who also runs race results weekly. If you want to get all your weeks race results compiled for you on an email every week, subscribe today. But he was telling me, you know, Durgan bombed New York DNF. So that was her debut trains for it. But he's like, I forgot who he was citing. He was citing some old coach. He's like, yeah, well, the, I forgot who used to tell me, like I used to, he told me that like basically training for the marathon will help you. And I, I say that to my college kids at Cornell. When you bump your mileage up, sometimes in the short term it may hurt you, but it'll probably pay off the next season. So you may not be ready for that training. Maybe she wasn't ready for it in the fall, but she's benefiting from it this year. And that's my concern 
you know, at, at, a, at a totally different event back in the 1500 for Sinclair Johnson. We've talked about this a number of times on the show, but she had a breakout year this year for P. Julian. But I'm wondering, was that breakout the result of all the strength work that she didn't like doing with Jerry Schumacher the year before? She didn't like that strength work, thought it was too much for her, but may have really benefited her this year. If she doesn't improve on that or at least solidify what she had last year, I think it's because she didn't have that strength work. So these are the women going to Worlds. John, you've got some scoop. Whoa, 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 whoa. Robert, quickly, I'll ask Pete about Sinclair Johnson. Tell her you don't think she's any good. But wait, why would having strength work hurt you? She didn't have it before. She does the strength work, so you get better. And then shouldn't you build off that plateau? I don't understand why it hurts you going forward. His theory is that under Pete, she reverted to more 815 type training. She's not doing the high mileage, high intensity, longer sessions that she was with Jerry. And now if she doesn't have that continually under her, you know, under her belt, she's not going to have the strength moving forward that she had. You know, she had remaining strength from her training with Jerry last year. She wouldn't have that in 2023. That's the working theory. Am I right, Robert? I I apologize. That is correct, John. As a guy who just always ran more and more, (laughs) I never thought about going the other direction. Maybe I should have. I had it backwards. I forgot she went from more to less. Yeah, if I could do Weldon's career over again, maybe in the Olympic year, back off on the mileage. But yeah, you had it right, John. But John, that sounded good though. My career in Olympic year, like, kind of sounded good. In the opening, John, I teased that you had the scoop on why some of these OAC athletes aren't going to Worlds. By the way, is Morgan McDonald in the OAC? Yes, he is. Okay. He's the one, as the former NCAA cross-country champion who's an Aussie, who has done nothing on the track as a pro, should really be there. That's the one that most bothered me. But what you were telling me just before the show started, I get it. I get it. Explain to explain to the listeners what you heard. Yeah, so I spoke to Dathan Ritzenhain, who's the OAC head coach, yesterday. And we were talking about this qualifying system in the 10,000 that we already tried to explain for about 10 minutes and he was confused by it too. He, you know, he's not alone. There are plenty of coaches and agents, I think, who aren't totally clear on this thing. But then I asked him, you have two of the best 10,000 meter runners in the US, Alicia Monson and Joe Klecka. They were both NCAA cross country runners up in college. Why aren't they running USA cross or world cross? And his explanation was, we need to get a 10,000 meter qualifier. And it wasn't even this year's worlds that he was worried about. It was next year's Olympics and the window is open. You can get the qualifier at the 10 on March 4th in California. And the way he put it to me was like, look, the standard is really hard. It's 30, 40 on the women's side. It's 27 flat on the men's side. You can only get in really that kind of good enough shape a couple times a year. And finding a race where you can get that qualifier is tough. There aren't many 10,000s around the world that go that fast. You need to have good conditions. You need to have a pacemaker. It helps to have some competition. They're going to have all of that at this meet at the 10. So he's like, we really need to get that because obviously the Olympics is the biggest thing in our sport. And he's like, that's really, they want to run that. And it's two weeks after World Cross it would be a pretty big interruption for them to go fly down to Australia 
run World Cross, and then come back after a very hard 10K at World Cross and try to run sub-27, sub-30, 40 in the 10,000 two weeks later at the 10. And the way he laid it out to me, I kind of get it. It's like, okay, they can try to get it by the ranking, but there are fewer, fewer spots now because of this World Cross Country thing. And the Olympics, I get it. That is the big thing. That's why the these groups exist is to put athletes in the Olympics and put them hopefully on the podium at the Olympics. You've got to make sure your athletes get to the Olympics. One of the ways is to make sure you have the standard and there aren't many opportunities to get that 10 K standard. So I do kind of understand. I'd love to see them well cross, but I, I get the rationale. I almost want to take back everything I said previously. Well, it still comes by world athletics needs a better system, but if you're doing something because you want to make the Olympics, that's the end all be all in the sport. That's what sponsors care about. It gets ten times ten x publicity of everything else. I can't blame it anything an athlete does saying I'm doing this to make the Olympics. The problem is World Athletics needs to make a system where, where what works out for the athletes making the Olympics works out for the fans. And are they going to have the eight spots next year for this cross country thing? Yes. So if that's the case, people need to run there and they, they need to reward the national championships because I still think the U.S. could probably have two or three qualifiers and reward the Olympic trials. But now the trials may not mean as much. I think for sure they'll probably pull the 10Ks out of the trials and run them in better weather. I mean, we're essentially going to create the incentive now, also because the rankings are for 10Ks, it's about time. You need perfect weather. So essentially, you're encouraging everyone to go run time trial trip races with no fans. That's what World Athletics is incentivizing. Well, they're, they're also incentivizing running these cross-country meets in Spain. But I talked to Ritz about this. I'm like, would this change your schedule for next year? He's like, well, we could go over and try to run a European season. And I'm sure some athletes will try to do that to make the Olympics, run three gold-level cross-country meets to boost up your ranking but he kind of he's like look i don't want my athletes to get in by gaming the system i don't want them to just hunt out the easiest meets to get points at and run those i'd rather they just go out run the standard and he thinks like 27 flat only three americans in history have ever run that fast and but he thinks joe Kleck is good enough to be the fourth i i agree with him so if he's in good shape the problem is if joe or alicia gets hurt in the next month before the 10 they're screwed because it's going to be hard for them to get in off their world ranking. And there aren't that many chances to run fast. I mean, I think they could still have a pathway to qualify, but this is all dependent on, they have to be in really good shape and healthy on March 4th when they get their shot. Otherwise they get into trouble. The eight cross country spots are, are just making it more important that you hit the time automatically. You heard it here first, January 24th, 2023, the Olympic trials and the 10,000 meters may mean nothing. in The United States may mean nothing. I guess there's a better chance in the U.S. that three women have the time. But, man, I guess they'll figure it out by the next Olympics, 2028 for the U.S. But these rules have real consequences, and they got to get them right. And I think in the 10K, they're really they're not right. Yeah, I think you could have four women get it. In the, you could have Monson, Cranny, Schweizer, and Kaladi. I don't know if anyone else would get it, but those four could all end up getting it maybe. But, yeah, it's going to be three or four people with the standard and because there aren't really going to be people getting on the rankings, those it's really might just be a four person race though. 
we have kind of had that in the 10K before. It, there haven't been, it's not like, let's not pretend there were 10 guys getting the 10K standard and it's this crazy race. It kind of has happened like this in the past. Yeah, I mean, even back in my day, I got fourth at USA twice, never hit the standard. The standard's been a thing for 25 years. It's annoying. We need a system that benefits the fans. I almost think we didn't like the world rankings at first. Maybe I'm just all about go all in on the world rankings. No time standards, just world rankings. And then, but they need to have the caveat. If you're sending three, you can send whatever three. That, that, that rule needs to be changed. And that was another thing I heard about criticism of Max Siegel was apparently that that rule has never gotten in. Max Siegel has never pushed for that. I would really flex my muscle and say, we pay for a lot of the Olympics. This is the rule we want. And it doesn't have to be catered to the U.S. You say, if you're already sending three and they've run, just make a standard that won't embarrass themselves. If a man's run under 14 minutes and a woman's run under 15.30, they can go if you're replacing somebody else. But they were trying to get, apparently, these NCAA meets to count for world ranking points and track because they don't count very much high points and they had some system and then... This college coach I was talking to is like, yeah, and then Siegel just didn't bother to do what we want him to do, and it never happened. So, oh well, there's another issue that being part of this World Athletics calendar, you can only get rankings points from meets that are on this global calendar. A lot of athletes are reliant on college meets to run fast times, at least U.S.-based athletes, and there aren't many college meets that are on this schedule. Like the world leader in the 60 meters a couple of weeks ago ran it at Clemson. That meet does not show up on, like, if you look at the World Athletics 60 meter world leaders, he's not on there because that meet doesn't have it. I was talking to a college coach last week and he explained to me, he's like, look, to get on this calendar, you also need to be certified by USATF. And part of that is having an insurance plan. And he was, he's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm at a major university. We have an insurance plan covering this meet. But USATF says that's not good enough because USATF wasn't named as a signatory and it's going to end up costing what should be just $25 to get a permit from World Athletics, basically, is going to cost thousands of dollars from USATF or hundreds and then times, you know, four or five home meets per year, just making it far more difficult than it needs to be. But right now, that's another thing because I don't think USATF has clearly been in contact with some of these meets about getting all these meets on the calendar. I don't know how much of an issue it'll be, but it could find out if someone runs some really fast time at a college meet and it's not sanctioned on this global athletics calendar, we're going to hear about it. could be a big problem. All right. Maybe we just killed off all the visitors spending all this time worrying about who's going to be the third finisher, the third person. But because in the big scheme of the picture, like 50,000 feet view, nobody cares. But we, the diehards, we care a lot about this. So whatever. All right, a few other things from, from this meet that I, that were really interesting. Nobody cares, Robert, but also make it so the Olympic trials matter here. The Olympic trials matter. The Japanese, well, I guess marathon trials, they're going to always have the quality. But in the United States, there are two track meets that matter. The Olympics and the Olympic trials every four years. Those are by far the biggest meets. Make them easy for the fans. We're going to send three people in most events. Make it so if you win those or get top three, you go to the Olympics. Come on. Yeah, that because it reminds me that one of the most exciting meets, races of the Olympic trials in 2021, men's 1500. At the finish, you've got the Olympic rings next to Centro's name. You've got the Olympic rings next to Nagusa's name. 
Cole Hawker, who just won this freaking incredible race, doesn't have the Olympic rings next to his name because he's not officially qualified because of the world ranking thing. It's just, you know, he ended up getting in, but it it was silly because everyone, he was supposed to be going, it would have been going if we had this rule that you've suggested in place. It's a buzzkill when that happens and Tasha Rogers gets top three and doesn't get to go 10,000 several times, several trials ago. All right, a couple other things from this meet that were really interesting to me. I was talking to my favorite steeplechaser in America, Anthony Rochich, after the meet. Again, I met Hold on, hold on. Has Anthony usurped Dan Mahalski, who wore the Let's Run singlet in Houston? Oh, I forgot about Dan. And Jager's pretty good, too. And Emma Coburn's won a couple medals, hasn't she? Well, I love all the steeplers. I like the steeple guru. If you're a pro steeple and need to be coached, give me a call. But anyways... Anthony Rochich, back in college, I was amazed this guy, he beat Lowry LeMang when Lowry LeMang was at the height of his height of his powers. One NCAA mild title, one steeples, ran like 820, 821, something like that. And he's never really done much as a pro. PB still dates to college, never made a U.S. team, etc. And I was like, I saw him after the meet. And, you know, what was he, fifth place, John? I'm like, oh, it's so good to see you this fit. You see, you really fit now. You know, that's going to pay off big in track. Maybe you can make a team now. I've always been a big fan of yours. You know that, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not fit now. And I was very confused by this because if you look at the results, we've got a manual careers coach raving about him. Excuse me, manual boards coach saying he's in great shape. He runs 28-44, leads the whole thing. Anthony Rotich, I miss, I miss, I didn't give him enough credit. He's third place. He's five seconds back. And he tells me he's not fit at all. He was had to do some army training in December and he just started running recently. So <laughs> this guy is amazing to me. And then I just started talking to him about his career. I was like, how is this possible? And basically, with a, he didn't say this directly, but he's like, I shouldn't say this because John Kellogg. The boys in high mileage just walked in the room, but this guy's like in college. And John, look up his PBs in college to help people out here. But he's like in college, he was winning NCAA titles. I think he won three steeples in a row. I was running 30 to 35 miles a week. And he ran what? 821. And what about the mile? Well, his list is 359, but I'm. Wondering if he got, he might have gotten some altitude conversions because remember he won NCAA's in Albuquerque. Yeah, actually, his official mile PR is still only three fifty nine, but he was an NCAA champion over a guy who had run three thirty the summer before. Who was that? Lowry Lang. Or sorry, Lowry Lang ran three thirty three. I apologize. Still, you know, insanely good. I was about to say three. I wouldn't have said he ran that fast. Lowry Lang at 13 flat and 333. Yeah. One of the iron's hot strike people. That's all I can say. Or sorry, I guess he I guess he didn't run 355. He ran 402 at in Albuquerque, so I don't know what that's worth. It's probably worth something like a 355. But you know, mainly the Kenyans are better altitude. So then he said after college, I started running 95 miles a week, 90-95. He's like it was way too much. So he said now his game plan is you know in the 70s. So that was kind of interesting. 
And then, so I don't know how he made that team. The other thing was, I did talk to Dave Smith about Isaiah Rodriguez, who was what? NCAA cross, he was second or third? Uh, eighth. Eighth this year. But I assume Dave is the Oklahoma State coach, is the, world, is the USA coach. I'm like, oh, Isaiah must be in good shape. He's going to make this team, and he was a total non-factor. I asked Dave if he was surprised. He's like, no, I wasn't planning on bringing him to this meet. He hasn't been running. He took a break and told me I want to run this race. And Dave tried to tell him, hey, you haven't been running. He's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Because this is a guy that's been hurt a lot and just still produces at NCAA cross country every year. And Dave's like, no, it actually does matter. You need to kind of train to be able to make a world team. So on the one hand, it was proven that you need to train to make the world team in his case. But Anthony Roche says he's not in shape and he's on the world team. So who knows? Go figure. Robert, I got to step in here and check your toadying a little bit. You can't go up to an athlete after the race and say, you know, I'm a big fan of yours, right? That's just skirting the lines of journalism a little bit. John, let's run as the voice of the fans. I am a fan first. Journalist second. You could have had it. You could have had a high schooler just videoing the, the interviews. I was just holding. I was like a tripod. No, John, we only draw the line with the autographs and selfies. Fortunately, they've, out, they've outlawed that at the uh, Worlds. No journalist can take selfies. I think in a cross-country, if no one's there, we'll, we'll give Robert a pass. I mean, Robert has said on the podcast, he's basically a Rotich fan, has been preaching quite, you know, preaching his virtues the last couple of years. Yeah. But I, I also would never think Robert would approach someone for an autograph or selfies. So, all right. Your integrity mostly intact. Uh uh, yeah, anything else to say about USA Cross? I Like Robert said, I was really impressed by Leo Young. This is his first ever AK. He's the only high schooler to make the team. On the boys' side, five of the six guys. Actually, Cole Matheson made it because one guy didn't end up taking his spot. So it will be two high schoolers going to Australia. But five of the top six were collegians. Leo Young's the only high schooler to make the team. But on the girls' side, it was different. Five of the top six were high schoolers. There was only one collegian to make the team. I found that kind of interesting. Not totally surprising. And I guess we should mention Lex Young also ran this race. Robert, we you spoke to Leo afterwards. Just sounded like Lex had been sick and then injured. And that's why he was subpar. But he wanted to give it a go. He wanted to at least try to make the team. I think can't fault him for that, even though he didn't have the race he wanted. I think it's great. It's okay to fail. I mean, there have been talk in the message where the only one young was going to run. Now we know why. Lex hadn't been running at all. And like, decides, well, I don't have anything to lose. Might as well try. So kudos to them. The young's mother ran this, the master's race. I think she was 33rd place or something like that. So congrats to that. Mom, performance of the week, maybe. Definitely brings us to the message board post or post of the week, I should say, perhaps. Guys, if you get the post of the week, you need to be registered. Because if you're registered, if it's the official post of the week, you get a free shirt. Our shirts are amazing. Super soft. Check them out. Shop.letsrun.com. This anonymous poster, this thing got 223 upvotes, one downvote. It's not announced yet, but she's headed to NC State. Then these got quite, I thought they were pretty humorous and pretty clever. Next poster, Coach B is on it. She's not staying in Cali to train under Brosnan? Somebody points out she did better than Lex did at NXN. And then somebody replied to the NC State rumor and said, please, she is clearly a BYU runner. So well done there on the forums. 
you want to know what's really happening on the running world, check out the letsrun.com forums. And related, we should reach out to Justin Rinaldi, the coach of Peter Ball, who was the fourth placer of the Olympics. His A sample came back positive for EPO. We discussed this on the Friday 15 because Peter, Justin, they're adamant he's innocent. They just can't fathom this. So we'll see what happens with this. You know, this could be another Bernard Lagat situation. People aren't aware. Bernard Lagat, America's. Well, I will, how do you describe him, John? One of the best 1500 meter runners ever in the world for as Kenya, but amazing runner for America at 1500 and 5K. He had an A sample come back positive for EPO, and his B sample came back negative. So the best situation for Peter Bowles, this is another Bernard Lagat situation. But Justin Rinaldi, his coach, he works in banking. He's a side job. He coaches a lot of the top Australian 800 runners. Um, but he's also a, a Let's Run poster. He came on and, and chimed in and posted a, a, about this because people are ripping into him for his initial statement. And if you look at, if you're a Supporters Club member, you can see everybody's post. Now, I was looking at his post, like, you know, two days before this came out, he's, he's on there posting all the time about top 800 meter stuff. It's fascinating. Like, you really, he's a good follow on Let's Run. Um, I found this great thread from last year. Since she's like, why aren't there more professional 800 meter groups in America? And he had this comment. There's a bunch of 144, 145 guys in college each year that seemingly have nowhere to go. The U.S. should have five to six 143 guys each year, which would push two to three running 142 and push the top guy to 141. And if you're an SC member, you can be notified every time he posts. You don't even have to search the forums. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. It's an interesting theory. I'd be nice to hear him expand on it a little bit more. I mean, there is a lot of talent in college, but it's not always American talent. So I, w- I was impressed. I mean, John, he's in here talking. He studies this stuff. I mean, this guy's a he's just a clear fan of the sport, expert on the 800 meters. He's in here posting about Cade Flat and Will Sumner. If Cade Flat or Will Sumner want to go win gold in 2028, where should they go? I mean, he's already recognizing them as phenomenal young talents, and he's like, how do you develop them, you know, six, five, six years down the road? All right, guys, one last thing on cross-country. World Cross is in Australia on February 18th. What place does the top American finish? Any of the races, how are they going to do? Last time out in 2019, for reference, top senior man was Shadrach Kipchurchia, 34th. Top senior woman, Stephanie Bruce, 33rd. Top junior boy, Shoaib Aljabali, 29th. Top junior girl, Savannah Shore, 53rd. What do you guys reckon? Those aren't too strong, John. I need to see the results from the previous world championships. I think in all four races, we're going to do better than that. I, I think these junior talents for the U.S., I know they're only in high school, but I think they're Irene Riggs and Young are, are pretty big talents. So I think they can get in the top 25. And then I, I, I think in the for the men, I, I would expect Emmanuel career to be – Emmanuel Bohr, excuse me, I keep saying career. Well, Shadow Kiptucci is pretty good. It was only 34th. I think he can be top 20. I mean, you got six from Kenya, six from Ethiopia, Ugandans. I'm going to say 17th. Now, I'm not sure about the women. I mean, Kurgat and Kaladi are talented, but 
But I don't know how deep the Kenyan women's team is either. If Stephanie Bruce is 33rd, I think they're better than she is. I'm going to say, I hope I'm understating this, 25th for the top women. I don't think the problem is the depth of the Kenyan team. But I see Sam Chilinga was 11th. That's really good in 2017. Was that in Uganda? Man, that was a wonderful trip. Maybe I should head to Australia. Just tell the pregnant wife, like, no notice. Bye. I bring my kid, right? I'll just bring the kid. Aussies, what's a babysitting rate in Australia for a two-year-old? 1844, let's run. Um, I'm going to go. Oh, gosh. No, this is going to be backwards. Yeah, somebody can get top 20. Because also in 2017, we had, so you have 11th for Chalinga, 20th for Lunar Career, Shadrach Kipchurcher, 21. So I'm going to go top 20. I changed my pick. Emmanuel Bohr, 12th. Okay, I'm going to go 14th. Um, the women's race, I'm going to go 17th. Did I go Kaladi? I'm going to go with Kaladi. Uh, the junior races, I have no idea. I'm going to go Leo Young, 16th. We have no top 10s. Irene Riggs, 12th. I'm just making up numbers. I have no idea what that means. Let's let's not pretend. I'm not too bullish on the Americans' chances. I think the one thing that could help them is this thing's all the way in Australia, so maybe some countries just aren't sending many athletes, maybe – they get lucky in Eritrea or Uganda or Burundi on sending many athletes. Uh, what about the four by two K? There's a four by two K. Do we know who that team is? That U.S. team hasn't been named yet. I'd be curious to see who it is. We should just then you can put a good team and have a shot at a medal. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, but I think all these U.S. milers, most of them are going to want to run milros and indoor races and not go all the way to Australia. John, you might be on it at this case. Hope you're in shape. But yeah, I I don't know. I guess Chilanga at the eleventh in twenty seventeen Uganda. That surprises me. I'm surprised he ran that well. It's gonna be a hot race. It won't be like chilly and hilly like it was in Aarhus. For those of you who don't remember, guys, you remember this? At the last World Cross Country, we had runners for let's run.com in the race. Is that true or false? That's true. They weren't wearing the Let's Run singlets, but Let's Run paid for their entries. We made a big deal about this, yeah, because it was anyone could enter. Like, are they on the like Wikipedia, like the official results? But I take them out of the official results. Let's see here. I'm not sure. It's not that important. Kelsey Bruce, by the way, she ran that race. Then later that year, she actually did represent the USA in the World Championships for real in the marathon in Doha. But let's move on. We do have those interviews coming later in the show. We don't want to spend the entire show on USA Cross. Looking back at it, though, is it crazy that Jakob Ingebrigtsen was only 12th in the junior race? He was beaten by 47 seconds by Makesha Mangesa, Tedessa Worker, Oscar Chalimo. He's actually a- I mean, Those guys are all studs right now. Milkesa Mangesha, Oscar Chalimo, and Tedessa Worku. But I'm saying so is Ingebrigtsen, so it's shocking that he was beaten by that much. Although he's a little bit taller, maybe it was a hilly course, so maybe hills aren't his thing. I'm outraged. This is fake news. I'm on Wikipedia now. 
Kelsey Bruce is not in the results. She ran the race. It was one race. The gun went off. Everybody went off together. She should be in the results. I'm sorry. And this time they're having a qualifying race for the fans the week, like a day before. You have to actually qualify, which seems even more unfair. I like how they did it last time. But how can dreams become reality if Let's Run.com can't send people and enter in the race? They were worried, John. They were worried we were going to pull it out this time. We would have like, we would have like gotten some ringer from Kenya or something. Well, remember we tried to get Ed Chesarek to run, and we explored that option because he was still trying to run for the U.S. at that point. It didn't end up working. But all right, enough cross country talk. We're talking a lot about Australia though, and I've got one for you. This is even more interesting than anything we've been talking about so far today. Got up this morning, and there was a thread saying. 340.6, meters by Aussie 16-year-old tonight. Click on the thread. There's no name mentioned. There's a link to some obscure results. You can't figure out which race to pick on. I eventually find it. Young man by the name of Cameron Myers. People are claiming he's 17. He's not. I found his birthday. It's June. 16 years of age. Wins this race last night. 340, or I guess tonight. He, he won the race tonight, even though it's daytime in the U.S., 340.60, dominated, won by almost two seconds. This kid, is he better than Joachim Ingebrigtsen? And I know John gets mad when we compare any sprinter to Usain Bolt, but the, you can't deny this progression. He's run 340, which is equivalent to a sub-four-minute mile. It's like a 358, 359 mile at a younger age than Joachim Ingebrigtsen was. Ingebrigtsen was 16 years and nine months when he first became the youngest human to break four minutes in the mile. This guy is like 16 years and like six or seven months. And he's run the equivalent of a sub four minute mile. And this is not a one-off thing. I looked it up last year. There was a threat on him and let's run 15 year old Aussie runs. 346 at age 14, he ran 352. So he's gone 352, 346, 340. He's taken six seconds off every year. This guy's a stud. Remember his name. Yeah, Cameron Myers. It was a terrific run. Robert, I do get mad with the bolt comparisons because sometimes people like you, you've been comparing Nichols Harbor to Usain Bolt. Nichols Harbor's times are not in the same ballpark as Usain Bolt, and yet you're throwing them out there. This guy has run almost as fast as Ingebrigtsen. I looked at it. Ingebrigtsen ran 339.92 at age 16 years, 272 days. Myers ran 340.60 at 16 years, 229 days. And Ingebrigtsen is one of the all-time phenoms. He's known for these age group records, world age best. So he is an obvious person to compare it to. We're not saying Cam Myers is going to be the Olympic champion in the 1500, but it is a natural comparison to make. I don't think it's out of bounds. And it's just, you're putting in context how good this guy is. If you're saying he's running about as fast as Jakob Ingebrigtsen was at the same age, yes, it's it's pretty incredible how fast he's going. Well, I remember when Jakob went sub four at 16, everyone let's run went nuts. And I was like, that means nothing. Well, <laughs> first time I was wrong. I'm getting wronger more often in my older age, but probably be a third time coming up here soon. I misspoke. He ran 354 at 15. Excuse me, at 14. 346 at 15, and now 340. So it came down eight seconds, now six. 
I mean, Elie Kipchoge won a world 5,000 meter title over who at age 19, John? It was over Bekele and El Garouge, and he was 18, officially. I mean, right? And we used to say, oh, that's bullshit. He was old. Okay, then that means he just broke the world marathon record at 41 or something. Like, you can't have it both ways. That career is starting to stretch out there long enough that if he was old for that one, how old is he now? Right, but the thing is, the reason I think the Ingebrigtsen name comes up so many times with these youth comparisons is for a long time, yeah, you have... 17-year-old, officially 17-year-old Kenyans and Ethiopians who will run these crazy times. And then a couple years later, they're out of the sport. And people question, you know, there is age cheating in Africa. We know about that. We don't know who is, who's doing it every time. But with Ingebrigtsen, you kind of know, hey, this is his actual age. That's why we like to make that comparison because there's a certainty there. 100%. And, and, and in some ways, that even influenced my thing because the age cheats... They hurt the athletes who aren't cheating in Africa. But I was like, wait, I know there's probably some African guys who are 16 who can run this fast. Like the ages weren't whatever, or just create some uncertainty in the African performances. But I'm like, you know, some of them I thought probably were legit. Now maybe more of them were legit, but we just didn't give them the, the benefit of the doubt because there were other documented cases of just outright age cheating. But I think. One, the longevity of Kipchoge's career showing like, whoa, he really might have been the world champion at 18. Maybe fine. Maybe he's a year or two older, but beating El Garouche and uh, Bekele, my God. Look, you can be great at a young age. That's true now. I mean, not true now. It's just, it's true. And Kipchoge is the perfect example of it. I generally judge these people differently. I, I sort of, I think the comparison to Ingebrigtsen is better. Do I expect him to be the Olympic champion? No, but I judge the Western athletes by a certain standard because it's different birth certificates, et cetera, you know, and just different ways of raising people. I'm actually, I found a picture of him from last year. No, no early signs. It's not like he's Alan Webb. Looks like he's balding at age 15. Looks, you know, like your normal 15 year old. And it looks like he was wearing a Telford singlet, which is. Yeah, you know, refers to Dick Telford. He was the same coach of Jai Edwards, Aussie Olympian. I mean, he's coached a lot of top Aussies. So I would I don't know about his coaching setup, but he would be I think he'd be in good hands if he's with Dick Telford. Does anyone know if he made the junior team for their World Cross? I looked up the results. I did not see his name in there, so I don't think he's running. He's dead to me. Another guy skipping World Cross. Already he's he's got to get the Olympic qualifier. Can't afford to do World Cross. I was so pumped to have a new friend. Well, the, yeah, the Aussies look like they could have a good one there. We'll be monitoring his progress for sure because there's nothing the message board loves more than a team phenom. So remember the name Cameron Myers. Guys, this podcast is going a little long because we still got Dreams Become Reality segment. We still got Pete Julian coming up. We haven't gotten to the big story of the week. What else is left? I know there's one. Do we have to talk about Shakari? Uh, th- there's two, John. Which would you prefer to talk about? DSD regulations or Shakari Richardson? I, I think, think the one DSD thing, is way bigger than the other. DSD is more, to- more topical. Now, if we wrote an article on them, the Shakari article would get more clicks. Absolutely. But DSD, you guys rail about, you guys are always talking about DSD and transgender athletes. Really, the transgender thing is the 
gets brought up, I think, more than it needs to be on this podcast. But there was actually news about this topic in the sport this week. So I would say we talk about that one. Here we go. We can't even talk about running. John wants to bring it back to transgender and DSD. Like, why do we need to... Like, there's that, it's funny. Like, I, I don't want to even talk about this. I'd rather talk about Shakari. But... Then we do one minute on it. I can make it quick. The, Look, the news... Robert, I'm ahead. an expert. I'm an expert on this. I don't... This is going to put people to sleep. People think I'm obsessed with this topic. I'm not. By the way, John, your liberal friends in the New York Times are finally talking about this topic. Go read the last the article, the two articles they had this week. Even the left is saying we need to address this trans issue. But World Athletics has come out with new rules, and they want to apply the same rules to DSD athletes, which is what does that refer to, John? Differences of sexual development. Basically, that is what a lot of people would consider to be intersex athletes. But basically, it's people, they're not that much different than trans athletes in the sense of the only ones that are impact athletics are. XY athletes. So they have male chromosomes, but they don't really have male genitalia. People like Castro Semenya, etc. They're allowed to compete in certain events right now without taking hormone suppressants, but other events they can't compete in at all. And the new rules is World Athletics wants to have a uniform policy across all events for these intersex athletes. They have to get below 2.5 on their testosterone, which is much lower. It used to be 5. So to me, this would basically probably, if you, if you cut their testosterone in half from what it was, it's going to make them ineffective athletes. So I don't think you'd have a Castro Semenya dominating anymore, Francine Nianzaba dominating like you did in the past. But we, I don't know. I've never seen them compete at two and a half. But I would think, knowing a little bit about science, that cutting your testosterone in half would be good. This would also apply for trans athletes. I think it would be harder to be a big-bodied athlete, at least in the running events. I don't know about the throws with that low testosterone to carry around that weight. But again, I don't know about it. I think this rule actually pragmatically will work well for the running events and we won't have trans athletes or intersex athletes doing well at the world-class level. I don't like it though, in the sense of, to me, a trans woman is not a woman. A trans woman is a trans woman. I will call you she as a matter of respect, but you should not be competing in women's athletics, period, just as a matter of principle to me. They're trying to be inclusive to all. I think the reason why they're doing this is they're trying to actually kill two birds with one stone by looking to be inclusive to trans athletes. When I'm, I'm hoping that this science actually ends it all for once and for all from a pragmatic standpoint. Yeah, Rob, I think you're mostly correct with this is going to mostly eliminate at the top level of the sport uh, trans athletes and DSD athletes from having an impact. Now, lower down the food chain, maybe it's a little different. Uh, the youth level or something like that. And that's why I think there's been some pushback. Some people, this this is not official yet. This is the preferred option that's being circulated, but it sounds like it's being leaked a little by World Athletics or someone at World Athletics sort of test the waters and see how it might be received. And the criticism they're getting is they have gone, they've taken a half measure. They haven't gone all the way. You're still giving a pathway to some of these athletes to compete. But I think at the pro level, the biggest change here that I think is kind of going under the radar is that these regulations would apply to DSD athletes in every single event. Right now, it's only 400 through a mile. We've seen DSD athletes win medals. At the most recent Olympics, Christine Mboma in the 200 meters got the silver medal. She's a DSD athlete. Francine Nianzaba likely would have medaled at the Worlds this past year 
as a DSD athlete in the 5K or 10K if she wasn't injured. And under these new rules, they would not be able to compete in any events without lowering their testosterone dramatically, which would really eliminate them from medal contention. So I think that could be a big uh, result of these new rules if the preferred option is passed by World Athletics. Yeah, I don't love the rule from a theoretical standpoint, but from a pragmatic standpoint, it may be hard. If they're trying to actually deal with the XYDSD athletes, this is the way to do it. So maybe it's very smart what they're doing. But let's go to another topic. That's no, wait, more... John. Well, you said the criticism is what? You said you're about to say, but the criticism they're getting is... Oh, the criticism is that uh, these athletes are still allowed to compete at all. That transgender athletes are st- could still compete at the youth levels if they go undergo these rules, which is keeping their testosterone levels below 2.5 nanomoles per milliliter for a period of two years. And I think the the other thing is in the throws where body size can really have an impact and like you can keep some of those strength gains, an athlete who goes through male puberty and then transitions to a woman, you're probably going to maintain some of the benefits of male puberty and your bone size even after you've lowered your testosterone levels so that is an area at the pro level maybe uh, we haven't seen this really become an issue at this point but that is some one of the areas where you think it could still have an impact maybe yeah if you're a male you're a male i mean no matter what chemicals you take you're still biologically a male um for the kids it's just that's a different you know, a whole different issue. Cause now you're going to encourage young kids who maybe aren't certain about this. Oh, you want to play sports. You got to like load up, chemically castrate yourself. And who knows what the long-term consequences of that. Cause some, you know, sometimes kids change their mind. Um, so forcing people to take drugs for sports, which essentially would be required or for a Francine Niansaba. She's lived her life this whole way to never take into athletes. She's DSD. Um, she's not going to want to, I think she would, would respect her dignity and not, and not take this stuff. And that would probably mean the end of her career, which is on a personal level, sad. So there's just a lot of competing interest here. Um, but I think talking about elite level. Yeah. Let's, 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 I I would just say, look, biological males, biological females, but I think, I don't think they have the guts to do that. So they'll probably settle on this. All right, let's talk about world's everyone's favorite sprinter, Shakari Richardson. In 2021, when she became a sensation, well, she was a sensation really at the NCAA level in 2019, but running so well in 2021, wins the Olympic trials, looks like she might challenge for gold, gets disqualified for marijuana. And we defended her at the time. We thought the marijuana ban was ridiculous. We thought this is like ejecting a runner for a past interference or something. Just it's, it's not a major thing. She shouldn't miss the Olympics for that. She shouldn't have been on the relay. But since then, she's been in the news a lot. The last year, she was getting in publicized fights with her girlfriend. Some are speculating she had cosmetic surgery. And her performance was all over the map and totally laid a goose egg at the USA trials. Now she's in the news again. She's been kicked off an American Airlines flight. Did you guys watch the video on Instagram that she posted? I did. I don't think we need to discuss it that much. 
Well, why don't you describe to people what you think happened, John? All right. I guess I'm being told we have to discuss it, but what appeared to happen is during the safety demonstration for their flight as they were preparing to leave, Shikari was asked by one of the flight attendants to stop recording and to place her phone in airplane mode and unclear whether she had placed her phone in airplane mode or not. She then claimed that the flight attendant was harassing her by getting into the background of her video. And then they asked her eventually to leave the flight because she wasn't following instructions and putting her phone in airplane mode or stopping recording. And there was a back and forth between them she felt she was kicked off the flight unjustly. There are other people on the flight who are getting upset because she was delaying takeoff and potentially causing them to miss that connect- connection, something she didn't really seem to care about at all. Yeah, the one thing I never saw was like her saying she'd been kicked off. I think some stuff was deleted on Instagram because news outlets reported. I mean, my father-in-law sent me this thing. Like it made like the New York Post and it's just an unfortunate situation. I think most people are citing against Shakiri on this. That's my read on it from the comments I've seen online. Not on, the, not on her Instagram comments. People who follow her, I've been very supportive of her. Oh, interesting, John. Because I think in general news comments, it's against her. Um, just generally, if a flight attendant tells you not to record, you shouldn't record. I saw people on the plane sort of applauding against her i felt like so i felt like most people in the situation felt like she wasn't respecting the rules um the fact that it was interesting to me just a little like tidbit she's like you're getting in my video and she turns the camera towards him i just think her outlook is slightly off a little inflated sense of self but a little a lot she gets off the flight and as she's leaving the flight well then she says that she's a superstar. She's not a normal person like everyone else on the plane and that she can just get a private plane. People are telling her they're going to miss her connection and she's saying, I don't care about your connection. I'm being harassed. She's putting... She didn't seem like she was being harassed. I don't know. You can debate whether what she... I missed that Because some of the stuff was taken down afterwards because it's a bad look. I'm trying to be diplomatic, John. I, I She's just... I think there's a lot of concerns about Shakiri Richardson, how this is going to turn out, right? I said she could be the world champion. My bold prediction for this year, she's the world champion on the track. But I think with this type of BS, no. She doesn't have the attitude. She she doesn't have, I don't know, like what the right word is, the fortitude or something. Maturity, Some, I would maturity, say. Maturity, yeah. Like she's a, I don't know. She's a fascinating, like, She's just so in your face. and But I think sometimes it's too much about me, 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 me. Sometimes you got to fit in the system a bit. Do things you don't want to do. Um, and I, I think that's in life in general, but also with training, that sort of stuff, right? You can't just train when, it, when it's going well, when, this, when it's sunny outside. So I hope as a runner, you know, she can sort of turn these things around. Look, my take is there's a lot of divas out there that are famous. I mean, I'm looking at the list of 23 celebrities that have been kicked off planes. I would love to see a scientific study of 
what percent of the regular population kicks off for playing? What percent of celebrities? It just seems way higher. Like Odell Beckham. Like, would you want Odell Beckham on your team? I would want Odell Beckham back on my team. Maybe like last year, like with the Rams in the NFL, like he played for like six games. After that, he's going to become just, it's about me, 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 and it's not going to help. Alec Baldwin, Kate Moss, all these people have been kicked off planes. It's it's just kind of ridiculous. But I tried to post something I thought was somewhat sympathetic about the security. I was like, look, I've had flight attendants. It wasn't amped up on a plane. I thought the flight attendant was rude to me. But ultimately, I backed down. You know, I backed down. And maybe that's white privilege. I know he's probably not being racist to me because I'm a white male. But it seemed like her comment was a lot about this man's disrespecting me. So she was kind of assuming he's doing it because he's a man, she's a woman. Seems like she was more alleging sexism than racism. But big picture-wise, as it relates to track and field, I think she needs help. Like, she needs someone. Like, yeah, to me, a sprinter's a little bit like a striker in football. You need a little bit of diva in it in you, and maybe you need to be a little bit selfish. But you got to work hard, right? I mean, unless you're going to take the drugs. It, it takes to be the best in the world at something. You can't just get by on talent. I don't think there's anybody in the world that can do that. So. But look, who knows? You can't just say she's not working hard because she got kicked off an airplane. I mean, I I think we all agree she needs to demonstrate a little bit more maturity if she wants to realize the benefits of her immense talent but i'm not going to say just because she was kicked off some airplane airplane in january she's not going to win the world title in august or she's not going to be a contender in august but it's not a good sign that she's made steps in her maturity when she's getting kicked off a plane that's a good point john i'm the guy who said she's going to win the world championship you know that was my bold prediction if i had to you know bet money at it, i wouldn't have said but when i saw this i'm like oh not good for my prediction not good for my prediction but maybe because of this, somebody sits her down and is like, cut this shit, get serious. You know, what are you doing? Like, you know, the, you got because you got to push stuff pretty far to get kicked off a plane. We just saw her filming. Who knows what happened between the part when she quit filming to get kicked off? Well, no, the, 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 the debate, if you're going to defend her, is maybe you don't. Maybe she did something that wasn't that serious. She was just recording during the safety demonstration. And then they said, oh, you're getting kicked off the plane. She gets mad. I don't really want to spend that much t- more time about this topic. I don't think it's that important. I did wonder if the, if the male flight attendant was a jerk because the female flight attendant came from behind and she was like wait, frantically trying to get the male flight attendant to, like waving like this to try to get him to stop. So I, I think it's, we don't know what's going on with her, but this is just another sign. If you have to guess on this, it's not a good sign. So look, lots of people smoke pot, but is smoking it right before the Olympic trial smart? No. And then when she came back after the trial, she was in terrible shape. So whatever happened... You know, and her mom had died, but she didn't train very hard. Then last year, she's in Jamaica getting fight with her girlfriend. Starts a little subpar, gets in shape kind of quickly, and then flames out again. And then now this. Let's be certain on the girlfriend thing. I think the girlfriend admitted to it. Abuse from the girlfriend. So that's more of not just her, like, getting a fight with her girlfriend, but carry on. All right, I think we should finish this topic here. We do have two interviews coming up with Andrew Colley and Pete Julian. One last thing, we teased it in the intro. I don't know if you guys wanted to ask me about this, but I mentioned before we started recording, my sister actually told me she bought tickets to a professional track meet next month. And you guys seem somewhat surprised by this news. I didn't know if we wanted to talk about this. No, John. We're saving that for the Friday 15. Membership have its privileges. Thursday 15 this week, our second podcast, 
where we will break down a tremendous weekend of track and field action. We got Norb Sander in New York, the BU 5Ks, and the Wildlife Grand Prix. And we got to talk with Andrew Culley coming up. But I think first we'll do Pete Julian, coach of the Union Athletics Club. He's going to talk about this weekend's Wildlife Grand Prix. We'll get some updates on what the UAC the yeah that's UAC they don't call themselves UAC John we got the OAC the UAC they got a few new names this year what's up with them stay tuned Pete Julian and Andrew Colley coming next Friday 15 join now let's run.com slash subscribe and remember VPN a choice for let's run.com NordVPN let's run.com slash VPN we're with Pete Julian He's known to most of you guys as the Union Athletics Club coach, but he's also, I don't know, meat promoter is the right word, Pete, but you're helping put on the Lilac Grand Prix this weekend. It's a fabulous meet. We got loaded 800s, 1500s, men's and women's side. We have Cole Hawker in the 3K. We have the, well, we can get into these races individually. Sinclair Johnson debuted 1500 meters this year and sixteen thousand dollars in prize money so you win one of these races one of the big races you get twenty five hundred dollars pete thanks for joining us hey thanks for having me and i think more important point than the prize money is points world athletics silver level points for for the 15s and 8s and that means something now i think the more that athletes start to understand and agents and coaches understand the value of actually going to these world athletics events that have these certain statuses. Uh, it means a lot. I, I, I think just looking through some of the numbers and charts, if you win Lilac, it's, it's generally kind of in the same points as maybe if you get seventh or eighth at a diamond league outdoors. So it's, I mean, you can really grab some points and with these standards getting so fast. They're really the goal was to say, hey, let's get away from really just the standards and let's try to get people to qualify in on rankings. So they're making these things so quick. So the athletes that are common for our event, most of them all understand that they're really that's what they're really after. The prize money's nice. We want to be able to reward our athletes. I wish I could give them a lot more. They're worth it. But I think the points is something that I think there's gonna be some athletes who didn't come to our event are like, why did I go to Dr. Sanders' invite when I could have gotten this many points? lilac and they might be sitting on the outside of that top 48 come summer yeah is there a formal process the meet goes through to apply and, and get the permitting is that difficult to do it takes some prize money so you have to have a certain level of prize money per event right to get it a, a, a certain level of event so you so for silver you have to have four thousand dollars prize money per event so we have sixteen thousand dollars that's that's as much money as i could drum up and so that's, we, we have four events that are silver. The nice thing is the other events that are part of that world athletic silver also get a point ranking system because they're part of that event. Even though it's not a silver, the men's 3K won't be silver. It would be considered like a level F point. So Cole will get points in that 3K, 5K um, because it's part of this greater uh, world athletic silver event. I don't personally, I don't see any reason to go to any of these college meets anymore or to uh, to do these things unless you're unless you really feel like you can get the standard, 
right? It would make sense to go to BU or something like that if you can get the standard. But to go to any other meet that maybe isn't, you know, that's on an oversized track or it's a college meet, it just doesn't make sense for pros to be doing that anymore. If you're paying attention, if these agents and these athletes are paying attention, they need to understand that they need to look at that world athletics calendar and start actually trying to get into these meets because it's moving to the same as like tennis or golf or anything like that. If you don't have the points and you don't have the rankings, you're, you're not even able to get into meets because even the big meets, the diamond leagues and so forth, they're going to start picking these fields based on your ranking, right? So they're, the world athletics is trying to get to a more uniform process in this. I support it. I think it's great. I think it's going to help us actually have just more of a professional circuit and so forth. So I, I, I believe in what they're doing. And, and certainly my team is, you know, putting our money where our mouth is. And we're, we really want to at least give athletes in the North America another opportunity. We only have right now the New Balance Games in Boston and then Milrose. But we've got the best athletes in, our, in this country. I would love to have more events. That's obviously the goal with this meet. You know, I'd love to have field events, shot put, high jump and sprints, especially Spokane is a really fast track for the sprints. The college kids are showing that. And so it'd be hopefully something that we can just continue to grow. And it's just a major meet on the schedule. We're, we're committed to it. Well, that's good. You know, that they let you actually have a meet and not have to have 20 meets, 20 events, you know, look, look, we could put on four silver level events. We'll have a, two other high quality events. That's what we got the money for. And they're like, yeah, go for it. You know, like, yeah, it's going to be that's, great that's competition. Good. Because when I, you know, when I was looking at the money, I was like, wow, like I'm surprised, like some people on the East Coast, maybe in the 800 might want to fly out for this or something like that. It's, it's, it's something these races, you know, I don't know. I don't think Norb Sander has any prize money. No, no, I, I, they don't. And, and it's not even a world athletics event either. So there's no, there's no points are very, very, very minimal. So it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of negligence on the part of, I, I think there are some athletes, there's, look, there's a good reason to go to New York and run Dr. Sanders. You know, maybe it's something where you look at maybe Sage trying to break the 1K American record. Like, okay, fine. Like, that's fine. I, I'm not opposed to doing these sort of things and going for something fast or going to BU and saying, okay, I really, I want to try to hit the world standard, for example, in the 5K. That's That's the place you want to do it. I get it. But you better have something, it better be something of that nature. Otherwise, it really doesn't make sense. I mean, we've got athletes on the West Coast who are flying six hours all the way to New York to run Dr. Sanders when it's like, wait wait a second. You, if you're a 335 guy, 336 guy, why are you not running in the lilac? You, you actually are going to get some serious points that are going to put you in the top 40 in the world. Like that's that to me seems an easier path than getting the 332 or 333 that you got to hit to get the world standard. It, it makes more sense. And world athletics is trying to encourage that. They're like, right. Folks start racing these races and actually get into these events that we can actually sanction that you guys can get prize money for. They've done a good job by saying, Hey, if you want these amount of points, you got to put this amount of prize money in. It's a win for everybody. Quick update and slight correction here. After recording this, we realized the Dr. Sander invite is a World Athletics bronze label meet. We're not sure which events in the meet are designated as bronze, but bronze label events do get some World Athletics points less than the silver, and they're slated to have $2,500 in prize money per event, whereas silver has 4000 Just wanted to correct the record. All right, back to Pete. 
Yeah, I didn't realize the prize money connection, which sounds like a win for everyone. And but how how many how many events count for your ranking? So there's a time frame, right? So I think it's it's you got to have it, it. It's complicated, but it's it's important for us to understand it. I and I'm sure some of the listeners, your astute listeners, really know the rules, and it's all there published. Right. I believe it's I believe it's your last five. You need to be in five World Athletics events. And I believe it's over the last 12 or 18 months, depending on the event group, right? So you, you need to be racing and you need to be getting in these, these events. And there are only so few in North America at this moment, because most of our events, at least on the indoor circuit and certainly in the spring, they're college meets. College meets count for nothing, right? So, yeah. So why do it? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot about this on our regular podcast because we're talking about the 10K qualifying and because they have these cross-country spots. There's eight spots going to cross-country rankings, which are these mm-hmm. permit meetings. It's not the world cross-country. I mean, that counts in the rankings. You pretty much may need to hit the world standard or come through the cross-country. It's going to be so hard. The bigger picture was like, wait, athletes need to learn how the system works. And I think the 10K is a bit more unique than the regular events, but it's like start running these meets where you get points. I mean, that's what that's what the whole – the sport is better off if, if the stars compete in meets that matter. And they're trying to that's come right. up with a system that encourages that. It's not perfectly done here, but it's better than what they had. I think the 10K is really messed up, but yeah. – I agree. I yeah, and if it's fine, I I, I don't want to poo poo on like BU and athletes going there because I get it because we will too this this winter you know we'll but not if there's another meet the same weekend like I'm having athletes run at BU because they couldn't get into Melrose right I mean so our first our first goal would absolutely be run Melrose but I've got some athletes who are maybe uh, developing and so forth or they just they don't have the event or so so yeah it's like I I'm okay with an athlete going there but it. But when you have a meet like Lilac or New Bounce in, in New York, every single athlete, at least North American athlete who has any aim on making our world team and running it in the world championships or the Olympics the following year, they really need to be trying to get into those events. And we need to get more of them, right? There needs to be more. And certainly in the spring, it's and these kind of things is it would be great. You know, I know that Bobby Kersey's got the, the gold world athletics gold meet in May in LA. It's that's the kind of stuff that we really need to start collaborating around. And as pros, pro teams, agents, they need to start understanding this, that there, there's really no, and what you're going to hit a world a standard. You're really going to fly and you're going to nail that down. Be a little bit more smart. I think because the standards used to be easier, everyone's still under the impression that they're going to hit the standard. I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. And I think the game's changing. Yeah. What, what are we at now? 27.10 in the 10K? No, 27.5. 20. Yeah. Right. Right. Gone are the days well. Man. You and I were Peyton Jordan. And, <laughs> you know, you run low 28s and you don't, you don't buy a beer for a year. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a hero. Now you can't even get books at your uh, Division II college. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, uh, I never hit the standard. It was twenty eight, ten or twenty eight minutes or something. Well, let's real quickly turn to some of these events and some of the new additions. You know, to your team, men's eight hundred. Noah Cabet. I know he's training with you. I don't think he's technically part of the team. He's this eighteen year old Kenyan sensation last year, second at World Indoors, 
He won a Diamond League. He's taking on Isaiah Harris, Charlie Hunter, others in this race. First of all, what's the status with Noah and the team? Yeah. So uh, Nike approached me Worlds last year, and uh, and they said, hey, uh, we've got this young talent. Uh, we just think that he might, we can probably put him in a better position for success if we just got him into a more of a structured type program. So yeah, we, we've been working on it for quite a while. Uh, he's He's in the U.S. I've been training him since the fall just sending workouts and, and so forth. He's been in, in E10, um, but we did get him over here a month or so ago. He's young, uh, never, obviously he's, he's a kid. And so there's a lot of things that he has to do and to be able to make sure that he can adapt and and um, get by here in America from cooking to buying groceries to getting a place to live. And we can help a little bit but we're not really in a position to really sort of do this 24 hour care for this, for this youngster. Usually our college programs do those things for us, right. Until they, so it's, we're just giving them some time to breathe and to see if it's the right fit. Um, I, you know, it's just for him, it's just be like, Hey, let's just, let's do, treat this as a trial period. Let's be over here this winter and the spring. And I really know, I just really want you to be happy and healthy and not be so homesick that it just affects your training. Um, if we can get through this spring, then we'll make it official. But for now, you're in a good spot. You're running with some great people. We've got you in a good strength and conditioning program. We've got some good physios. Let's, let's just concentrate on that. And when it's when you feel good about it and when I feel good about it, we'll put the official kit on you. But there's no rush. He's 18. He's talent, though. I mean, we've been working with him now for about six. We've had him, you know, in person here in Arizona at training camp. And uh, he's a joy to watch. He's He's good. Are you guys in Flagstaff or where are you? Split. So I've got half the team in Flag and half the team down in Phoenix. So I've got the, you know, the fast. So, I, you know, we're more of a middle distance based, I guess you would say. So Raven's not having any of uh, 7,000 feet. I'll tell you that. Well, and, and the snow. So <laughs> it's, it's got to be sunshine and yeah. You said Raven. She's probably your mm-hmm. second most well-known 800 meter runner. Is Donovan training? Is he healthy? How's he doing? Yeah. So they're both, so they're both healthy. Uh, Raven is, is doing great work. It's just for both of them. I think we found that indoors just doesn't really work for them. So it's, it, they've obviously run well there, but it's just, it puts a lot of load on them. So it's just, it's me trying to be a smarter coach and try to adjust and adapt and just really kind of focus on what's really important in the summertime. So that's really it. You know, I, I do draw a little bit of inspiration from, uh, yeah, for some, even from some athletes like Sydney McLaughlin or Thing Mo or some of these 800 runners that, that maybe they don't, or these 400 runners or 400 hurdlers, they don't put such a huge emphasis on the indoors and they really just try to put all their eggs in that outdoor basket and really just focus on staying healthy in the winter. Tight tracks, big athletic bodies don't really mix very well. And you kind of ask for it. And, and that's, and so we're just, we're trying to be adaptative and, and do a little bit better for these two. And so that they're really running super fast and they're at the top of the games in the summer. I think Raven was by the end of the year, probably a little bit because of Eugene world champs, her, her, her uh, likeness on the tower and all those kind of things. It was a lot of pressure for a Raven. It was one of the few, you know, she had a unique situation going back to Eugene and running out of her college for the world championship. It was just a lot of pressure 
caused a lot of just things that we, we really can't coach for. Um, and, and it's hard to prepare for. It was just a really long year. So, uh, really just try to give her a chance to regroup and adapt. And she's excited though. She looks great right now in the winter. And, and Donovan is still, you know, he had a big surgery, really big surgery just in, in the fall. We're, we're taking our time. He's young. What is Donovan? 25? Yeah. I mean, you're the coach. I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me double check here. Yeah. But it's crazy, right? Because it's now four years since he was world champion, right? I know. I know. COVID threw us off, but he's done some good things, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, twenty twenty, obviously, he was unbeatable, and the supposed to be the supposed to be Olympic year. You know, he's undefeated all through that summer, the Diamond Leagues. Um. You know, then we, you know, went into last indoor. He was, he was doing just fine. He was ramping up just fine. And then, then we had the issue with the other foot. So it's, it, it does feel, it was four years ago, but Donovan also, you know, he, he missed the, the 2020, you know, COVID probably affected him more than just about any athlete as far as the timing. Um, and so I think we might be having a different conversation, but wouldn't we all? If there wasn't COVID, but he, like I said, he's young. He's, he's not a guy with a ton of mileage in his legs or anything like that. We actually train him very smart and he doesn't do a lot of volume. He's got a long, great career ahead of him. He's super athletic. Not worried. Okay. Good to hear. Yeah. He turns 26, April 14th. Oh, okay. Right. It's still, you know, young compared to us for sure. Right. But I mean, the way these college kids, most, I think half of them are 25. So, you know, Donovan, you know, if he was state of Texas A&M, who knows? Maybe he'd be it's yeah, probably a fifth year senior. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I guess some of your new signings this year, Michaela Meyer, McKenna yeah. Keegan, and David Ribich. Am I missing anybody? New. Uh, uh, no, those three. Oh, uh, well, we'll we'll have, uh, when's this podcast coming out? It's coming out hopefully tonight, but if you want me to hold off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's okay to say. So, too, uh, we'll be making that announcement tomorrow. So we'll we'll we're okay to give you. I, I'm keep, the, I'm the we'll keep it quiet. Coach, so we'll I guess it, I could say, I won't, yeah, I won't yeah. publicize it. I'll keep it in the podcast, but keep it quiet. That's fine. Yeah. So McKenna comes from Villanova, second at NCAA's um, last year. Just a gritty athlete. Love uh, love the grit she has. The best. The reason why I actually wanted. That I, that I wanted McKenna is that her coach, Gina, told me that McKenna is the type of athlete that will always give you more than she has. That's a good thing. Yeah. And so... As long as you keep them in check a bit, you know. Can't let her overdo it. Yeah. But for Gina to say that, who's been, who's obviously seen it all and is just a, such a well-established, great coach at Bill... It, I thought that was pretty cool. Like she was like, this athlete is really somebody who's going to make it to the next level because they're just, and, and of course McKenna's super talented too. And, but I've just seen it now. She's going to struggle just like every newbie does for a year. Um, you know, in some sense you go, to, you come to boot camp here and everything's too hard and too fast and those kind of things. So it's, we'll give her some time, but she's going to be really good. She's got some great speed. If you want to, for the track junkies out there, if they want to like YouTube, uh, Villanova four by four at Penn relays or some of these things thing, you know, McKenna is, was on the range. She was fast. She is fast. Uh, Michaela, 
uh, sure we all know, you know, most people know from being NCAA champion at, at Virginia um, with Finn there. And uh, again, she had her walk through the fire year last year that a lot of athletes do. And, um, she, but she's doing great. She's doing great now. She's, uh, I think she's going to have a really good race at Lilac and I think she's going to have just a fantastic season. So, um, and then, uh, David is most people know David's story, uh, sort a D2 guy that really kind of broke through, um, and was one of the better collegiates in the country at all divisions. Uh, Nike did recruit him when he came out of Western, but he decided to go to Brooks. And um, I wouldn't say the the relationship there with David is obviously really good with his teammates and, and Danny and things like that. But um, but Brooks let him go, and uh, I I've watched David for a long time, and I I think he's somebody who's got some who's got some talent, and maybe just a different program, a different setup. Um, you know, I, I'm excited about it. To me, it was really just be like, hey, I he's an Oregon kid too. That obviously hits home with me. So. Uh, I think it's going to be a good fit, and he's been he's been a pleasure. Yeah, I asked John and Robert what what they wanted me to ask you, and they said, "Ask why he signed David Ribich because it's not it's not the normal Nike playbook for you guys to sort of sign mm-hmm. someone who." I mean, I heard I listened to his podcast with Josh Kerr, and he's like, "Look, mm-hmm. Brooks didn't renew me, but he PR'd last year. He's run thirteen twenty something. So you think there's something there? I think there's something there, and and it's." It's, uh, David took just as much a chance on me as, as I am in him. And, um, David really just, he wants to give it a shot. He really wants to do this. Um, and he believes that he can be a whole lot better. And I, I believe it too. A lot of things have to happen between now and Budapest, Paris, Tokyo, but he's, he's a good runner. I, I can see him out there and doing the workouts. I've been He's been down at camp for the last five or six weeks, and there's a lot of exciting things there. You can see that, you know what, this this guy can run. Um, you know, maybe it's just maybe just needs a, a new view out his window, um, just to reset. So we'll see. It, it's but also same time, you know, I've had a I've had a hard time getting some five K runners on this team. You know, we've got there's this I think there's been a bit of a misconception as like, oh, we're just speed based, we're middle distance. But I think people forget that I also coach Seguru and Coco. Right. So I mean it's we, we do know about the longer stuff. We do know how to do tempo runs. We we have we we do know how to do these things. And of course certainly uh, you know, being a coach of the Oregon project, we you know, I know what it takes to win golds and the fives and the tens and so forth. But most of these athletes just think, oh, we just do speed. So that that's not true at all. So we've got, we've certainly gotten our talent with Sinclair and Raven and, and Donovan and the speed guys that want to come, but I, I've struggled to recruit fives and tens to athletes over the last four or five years. So I just got to prove it, got to prove it over again on the men's side. And, um, and you know, David's the one that came to the dance with me. So that's the one I'm dancing with. And I think he's going to be a great runner. So is he going to be dancing in the 5K or the 15? Or both? I don't know yet. Maybe the steeple. Oh, wow. I, I, like you said, having listened to him this podcast for Josh Kerr, he, he was discussing his running and he's very sort of analytical. 
I think he needed to take ownership of it again. It sounded like he's like, look, I, w- I wasn't in charge. I felt like, you know, he became part of a program and went with it, but he forgot ultimately like I'm in charge. I'm in control of my destiny. So I think sort of a change in scenery, it might help him. It might help him. Good luck. I think it will help him. And, and that's something that we do very differently from probably all the other pro programs is that that's something that I preach is, uh, it, it's it's not the it's not the cult of Pete Julian or the cult of the Union Athletics Club. It's really these athletes are individuals, and they need to take ownership and they need to be able to call audibles in a big stadium. They need to be able to do these things. They need to be out there for their reasons. I'm not a rah rah coach. I'm not going to be giving these big pep talks all the time. These are pros. These are professionals, and the athletes that have succeeded with me are the ones that have really sort of embraced that. Jessica Hull, Saguru. Um, yeah, any of the medalists that I've had, um, but even the ones that have are, are on the verge, like Sinclair and, and, and Jessica, is they they are in charge. It it is very much a partnership, and it's I'm not I'm done with trying to convince people to work hard. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not. It, these athletes need to be able to take full ownership and be doing it for their reasons. And if I'm the one who has to give them the reasons, they're not going to cut it anymore. Things are just too fast. People are too good. Everyone's working way too damn hard. If you can't bring it on your own every day and you can't take ownership of your career, I don't want anything to do with you. Did you have to do that in the past? Or I, I think there's, I think there's some of that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And I think there's some of the times that there's sometimes that expectation, and some athletes want that. They want to go to a program where it's just like, hey, just tell me what to do, and I just want to be like a school of fish, and you know, and that's fine. But it just doesn't work for me, and it doesn't work for the athletes on the team. On the team, we are very much a team of individuals. Every single workout that I write for all thirteen athletes are individual workouts. It's I, I look at through the lens of each and every single athlete when I write the training, as far as the tr- racing plans and everything. It's all about what's exactly right for the individual. Now, of course, we mend and gel and 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 work work them in with each other. And things of that nature, but it's not so uncommon for Donovan and Coco to be doing a tempo run together, you know, if they happen to be doing stuff on the same day. So it's we got to get a video of that, please. <laughs> I'm sure I, I will. Yeah, next time it happens, record yeah. it, please. Yeah, yeah. So it's those kind of things. So that's really important. And so be, in a, a program like mine, I think that's why David will thrive because I think he realized that he just like, hey, you know, I I can't. I think David was trying to be too much to too many people is he was probably in some regard, he was a, he was a team leader at Brooks. And I think he was taking on some of that responsibility but maybe because when he came on the team dynamics were different and so forth. But ultimately that comes at the cost of, of you as your own individual, as your profession. At some point as an athlete, you got to step back from that and say, Hey, I, I personally have a job to do too. And I can't always carry the weight of my entire team. I can't be that guy or I can't be that woman. And that's hard. And I have athletes who've had to grow through that. Uh, Jessica Hole was a great example. She was such a wonderful teammate at University of Oregon. She was that person. She was that beacon of excellence, but also of camaraderie and, and being that leader. It was really trying to get Jessica. And that's the reason why she's had so much great improvement is starting to get Jessica to be like, Jessica, take more ownership, be more of an assassin. Don't worry always so much about your teammates. Don't worry about those things. Worry about you. Be an individual. 
and then let your teammates help you. Now, if they all have that same collective mindset, it actually works really, really well. Yeah, you need to be a team player, but the day of the day of the meet, it's an individual sport. You got to look at yourself. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not basketball. We're not we don't need assists. We don't need rebounds from you know. It's just you out there on the track, and it, you you've got to be out there for your own reasons. And that also that also for Monday morning practice too. Well, you mentioned Coco. It reminded me of Jordan Hesse. You guys really do span the spectrum. You got, you know, mm-hmm. four hundred type eight hundred runners all the way up to the marathon. How is Jordan doing? What's her status? Yeah, Jordan is happy, healthy, well balanced life. I'm, I'm really pleased with where she is with things. It was uh, she's had a long, long road. Some wonderful ups and some pretty deep downs um but she's in a spot where i think she's really loving running loving training um being on a team and if anything that we've what you know some of these athletes like sarah and kira have showed us and, and kipchoge is that hey for marathoners your your lifespan is is pretty long and so as long as you've got the love there and as long as you've got the life balance that if you've got some talent and you and you're continuing to work hard and you're in a supportive environment, that it'll come back around for you. It'll your your day will come back. Um and so that's where I am with Jordan. Just being very patient. She's being patient, but you know, what I'm most pleased about is that she's just in a really good place. She's she loves to run, she's happy. She's got great energy. Um, she does a lot for the running community still. Um, I, I can take that, but I do to, to know at the end of the day that she, she wants to still be America's best marathoner. It hurts her a little bit inside. She's definitely a positive person when she sees her, you know, Emily's and these athletes going out there and running sub 220. For sure, that eats, eats Jordan in the inside, but good. Like that, that means she's still got that fire, but I, if anything though, I think she believes that she can do it. And I, I believe, I believe in her too, but we just, Hey, it's physiology is a weird thing, man. And it's all connected. And you just, sometimes you just have to give athletes patience and time and just be able to support them. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Our favorite saying, let's run is talent doesn't, doesn't go away. And the older I get, I think that's a little simplistic. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, you know, physiologically whack your body and you can't, you mm-hmm. can't regain that talent or, or get it to work right. But I think a lot of people in the running world are rooting for her. So, and, but first you have to be in a good spot mentally. So that's good to hear. That, and she is. And, and that's what I'm most proud of right now. And I think she is too. I, I think there were some things where that need to be some balance in her life and needed to be corrected and sorted. And, 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 and I believe she has that now. And, and like I said, she said, she had some well-publicized um, heartbreaks and hardships along her road, which is which is life. Life is tough, and we've got to be tough. All right. Well, I said I was going to keep you 15 minutes. It's almost been 30. So we- I, always, I, always, I love chatting with you, Ron, and you know. All right. Good, good. <laughs> Probably should keep going. But um, <laughs> yeah. win some, some quick ones, and we can tell people how to watch yeah. the meet, and if they want to go, they can get tickets okay. and stuff. But the highlight for your team in 2022 was... 2022 yeah uh 
gosh, I would, whew. I, I, I think, can I, can I pick two? Yeah, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You can do whatever you I, want. I think, yeah, I think I, I, I'm really proud of getting two women in that world championship final in the 1500. That's not easy. I'm really proud of getting Raven back in the world final. We, we had three women make world finals at the world track and field championships on one team. That's, I, I know there's a lot of teams doing a lot of great things and, but I, I think if you really just look at the brass tacks of things, like that's, that's something we can hang our hat on. And then I also think, and that's without Coco, right? Because Coco was got COVID right before worlds and, and it's just, and she wasn't able to show her stuff until the fall. But then I think with Coco, you know, going on, um, running that one Oh five half marathon was, it was pretty exciting too. And, um, and so I, that's probably, I would say some highlights, um, but there was a lot of great things that women's DMR last year was pretty cool right off the bat. That was something that we worked together as a team and, and it was something just to say, Hey, let's, let's establish our team right away. Let's work together. All four of those women were living in the same house to go out and do it. You know, we're not shopping around the country looking for relay legs. This was literally four women who were cooking dinner together and like, let's go break the, let's go break the world record in the DMR. That's, that's pretty cool. And to go back and that watch that true. race, I do, I do go back and watch that every, every so often again, cause it kind of pops up through your feed and stuff like that. And I'm just like, that was a really special day. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm sure Nike's got a few 400 meter runners that could have helped with a second or two there. If you, if you wanted them, but I know, but that's not the point. And I, you know, okay, fine. You know, Mark Coogan's one of my closest friends and, you know, so it didn't, you know, he went out and, you know, they kind of pulled a team together, uh, for, for when they broke the record, but, uh, well, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to be doing the DMR this year at Lilac, but we'll, we're getting that record back at some point. We'll get it back. It was tentatively on the schedule. And then I think this last week it came out. Did you guys realize, Hey, we're not going to get the record. What was the thinking there? No, I think we would have gotten the record. I think it was more as I just left it to the women and what they came back and told me is because again, what I've, what we talked about a few minutes ago was that this is a team where the athletes drive the bus, right? And so I just said, Hey, I, I want you guys to sit down and talk. And if this is something you want to do, don't do it for me. Don't do it for union. What do you guys want to do? And they, they slept on it for a couple of nights and they came back and said, Hey coach, we feel like this is year we want to just do some individual events. They said last year, getting that DMR record was more about establishing our team and kind of putting us on the map and saying, and give us a collective goal to work for. They're like, it just doesn't feel like this year. It feels like this year we're just going to try to beat New Balance's record. And that's more of a, just a back and forth type thing. They said, that's not why they did it last year. They said, we'll give it a go here in another year or two, but this year they want to just do individual events. And I said, okay, decision made. But I, I know we'd get the record. Sinclair's running great right now. Raven's running great. We got Michaela Meyer. We got Ella Dunn. I mean, we, the team is significantly better than it was last year. So we could have gotten that record, but it has to come from them. And, and so I'm okay with it. Well, the challenge is out there. I forgot you and Mark are close. This needs to happen. Oh, yeah. We, what we need though, is we need a race between your team and their team. Well, well, and that was, the, that was the thing. And that was, the, that was the last thing that the women told me. They said, Pete, we don't want to do this record if, if nobody's going to come races. They're like, Pete, we are a team that races. That's what we pride ourselves. We're not a time trial team. We're not, we're not. We've gotten away from that a couple of years ago. I don't think it's good for the sport. My athletes don't think it's good for the sport. 
And they said, if nobody's going to come and race us for this record, it just doesn't excite. They said, we wanted Bowerman to be there. We wanted New Balance to race us. And we put the call out. We asked them. Nobody wanted to take it. Oh, uh, on Athletics Club. We we asked everybody, but nobody wanted to do it. So I get it. And that's for the reasons they didn't want to do it. But my women wanted to race them and nobody wanted to show up and race them. So we'll do individuals events. Happy about it. We're going to have public shamings to make this happen. I think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sure. I've been yelling on the podcast. I mean, I love the new New Balance facility. They they had their f- opening event last year around the Boston Marathon. They need to do another one this year. A, just make it a running community event. There's a lot of people in town. And then your Nike team needs to go there. I can't determine who wins, but like if Nike were to win at the New Balance facility, there'd be a lot of publicity for Nike. Don't be afraid of it. Somebody make this happen. Yeah, that, that would take it. All that would take is perhaps just an invite. Okay, <laughs> so. so you guys will go into the Nike, ha- the New Balance house, <laughs> take the record. All right, it's out there. Yeah. Okay. okay. You're the guy who promoted made World USA Cross Country. We didn't even talk about this. Once. Oh yeah, USA Cross. In 2007. Yeah. It was amazing. There was tons of fans there. It was publicized because you had the best versus the best. Mm-hmm. You know, at a meet that people cared about, and we need more of those. So. I think you can still find it on YouTube and or Flow Track or even you guys probably had. A, I think you guys had a video. It was packed in Boulder that day. There was it. It was unbelievable. It was the biggest crowd I've ever seen for any cross country race. Maybe I'm sure there was some. There's some uh, World Crosses back in Europe back in the day who had big crowds. But you remember it. It was just massive. But really, it was because every single U.S. star ran. Whether it's it was Dathan or Dina uh, Castor, um, Culpepper Torres, uh, Shalane Flanagan, Jordan Assay as a junior won it. Um, I mean, it was just it, nobody cared about a little bit of altitude. It was about the race, and that's it. They all wanted to race each other, and it, we can sell the sport when people want to race. We've really got to get away from this this time thing. It just it I know it means a lot. Because I'm as excited for an athlete to run a super fast time as anybody, but it hasn't moved the needle for the sport, has it? I mean, as much as we've seen times improve with shoe technology and tracks and so forth, has it made the sport more popular? No, it hasn't. No, it's right. less no. popular. I think. Less popular. Yeah, because really we're, 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 we, we're inching away from what really matters, and that's head-to-head competition. But you want, we don't need cheerleaders. We don't need live bands. We don't need... Uh, lights on the track. We we just we need to get back to the root of it, the sport, the purity of it, and that's racing. Yeah, it's all about racing. Racing and make sure there's prize money. Yeah, make sure you know, make it worth it. Yeah, too. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, they're professionals. Yeah, and even the even the new ranking system for the distances, I think it needs to be adjusted slightly because the such a huge percentage of the ranking points is still based on the time you run. So what if it's a tactical, I mean, there's even tactical eight. What if it's a tactical eight, tactical 15? Right then you lose so many ranking points, tactical five. Somehow they need to. Not necessarily, not necessarily. If you look at the, if you look at the, the world athletics point system, place is rewarded quite a bit. As long as you go to the right event, as long as you go to the right meets, as long as you're going to world athletics label events, bronze and above, your placing actually has a, has a huge influence on your points. It's it's really the easiest path to try to find 
to go to World Athletic Calendar events and to, and race in those meets. So, yeah, times help, but if you run a fast time at a college meet that has no st- status, you better hope that's a World A standard. Otherwise, you just wasted $1,000 of airfare and $500 of hotel, and you got no prize money. And, you know, I guess, you, you know, what, what, what have you done? For the besides take money out of your pocketbook, you I don't really think you've moved the needle of sport, and even shoe companies now are getting away from bonuses for times and all those kind of things because they even realize too it's like, look, it doesn't really matter unless you're making inroads on making national teams and winning medals or going making diamond league finals and these kind of things. Everybody loves a fast time, but what really people love is performance that's the entertainment. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But like a bonus for running like sub three thirty five, who cares? I get a bonus if you break an American record or something big. Mm-hmm. But oh, at the end of the year, if you've run in this time, who cares? You know, it, it, shoe companies don't. I mean, maybe some are still out there, but I, it's my understanding that they're getting away from that because you just don't know really where technology is going to go either, right? I mean, it's okay. We've now we've got the dragonflies and the the victories and the vapor flies and those kind of things. But what's not to say that in three or four years, uh, there's more technological advances. And so I, I don't know. It, not, and I, I certainly don't have any information on this, but I think it's with these s- souped up tracks and, you know, things like at BU and so forth. And maybe this new track at New Balance is one of these. Um, it's just one of those things where there's been so much heavy investment on these fast times, but I don't, but there's zero proof that it's actually changed the sport and it's actually helped promote the brand or the athlete to a higher level. What does matter? What matters is Jake Whiteman winning the 1500, right? That, that's what matters, right? Could you even tell me what his time was when he won that race? You might because you're- No, a, I can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I have Jonathan no idea. Jonathan Gall probably could, but I can't. But yeah, well, but you remember the race, right? For sure one of the best races in a long time. Yeah, that that's that's what we remember and that's what that's what legacy will remember. Legacy will certainly remember um everybody's got their PRs. Every single person listening to this podcast, they all have their PRs in their back pocket. And that's great. That's all something that we can keep and 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 we can trade and we can talk about and things like that. But what are you really talking about? You're talking about your the, the championships that you won, the great race that you had where you were your fifth man and you brought it to the you, you, you high school cross country, your fifth man. And the guy that was usually at seven 11 drinking Slurpees all the time, he came through on that day and you guys qualified for the state championships. And those are the things all the way up to the very highest level, Jake Whiteman winning <laughs> world championships. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that move the needle. And those are the only things that really true legacies are built upon unless you know, I, I'd put world records in there and American records. Those kind of things are true. But, do you know, does this country need another 336 at BU on the BU indoor track? Do we need another 356 mile on the BU track? You know, do, what, it, does, it, does it even resonate at all anymore? It doesn't. Now, it's great for the, for the athlete that does it because, yeah, you know, I've only, I've run four flat for two or three times, four flat point oh. So yes, my tombstone is going to say P. Julian never broke four minutes. So I, I get it to break that four minutes. But after that, really, I 
I guess this is a long-winded way of saying we just need to get back to racing and not, and certainly you want to have that fastest PR as you can by the time you're, you're done with the sport, but don't let that be your driving force. Be, be a championship runner. And that can be at any level. doesn't matter if you're D3, NAI, high school, JV, whatever it is, beat some people. My race plans for my athletes are never about time. We never talk about splits, none of that stuff. It's beat as many women as you can today. As many as you can. Net, just beat as many people as you can. Sometimes that puts you on the, the top of the podium at the world championship. Sometimes it gets you bronze. Sometimes it's sixth and seventh, like Sinclair and Jessica world championships. Yep. A couple of things. I didn't know you're a four flat point oh guy. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. And then the Slurpee thing. I thought you were talking about me. I used to love Slurpees in high school. So I thought something I'm like, how does he know I used to drink Slurpees? Oh, yeah. Well, come on. You look like that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> That reminded me of one thing. Raven didn't race after Worlds last year. Was that just emotionally so draining for her? Like, or was that the, she just was like, I don't want to race anymore? Well, she was supposed to run. Um, we, we had, y- yes, it, at the end of the day, yeah, it was just, it was just too much. It was just so emotionally just spent. Um, it was tough getting into that final. The women's 800 on the world level is just so insane. Um, and so, uh, but we had went to Poland to run the Diamond League there. The new Diamond League that was inserted, uh, you know, to replace some of the Chinese meets. And she called me going into because I wasn't there because I was I hadn't gotten to, to Europe yet. Um, and she called me and she was like literally I think walking to the to the track like she had done her warm up and she was like she's a coach my she's like my calf just feels like it's about ready just to blow and so I'm like all right don't do it. Or just so she didn't even walk out to the track. So she was entered, she was there, she's doing the whole thing. And even people are like, I just saw her warming up. Why isn't she on the start? Like, where is she? So, and then we went to Monaco, same thing. I'm like, well, you already got the trip. Let's just go down there. Monica was three or four days later. Like, you can, it's, you know, she was right on the cusp of getting into that Diamond League final just based on pre and a couple other points that she had. Same thing, you know, by that time we were there and it was just warming up. It just was, it was a no go. So I'm like, you know, what, what are we doing here? We don't, we don't need to. And she was totally fine with it. She was totally happy just to stop right there and head into Monaco and do a little shopping. And yeah. Hey, yeah. if a disappointing season ends with a trip to Monaco, I think that's the way to do it. Totally. I, that's the way to go out. Good right? for her. Every time. Go Raven. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, since you're going on, I'm going to throw you another question. How do you beat sure. a thing Mo at 800 meters? Hmm. Well, it's a question that I wrestle with every night and I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I am one of those coaches that fixates on those things. I, I she is an incredible athlete. Um, I, my Ray and I might disagree on this. I think it's through strength. Maybe it's through speed. I, I think that. You've got to, if you're an athlete like Raven, it really depends on what kind of 800 runner you are. Raven's incredibly fast. We know that, but so is a thing, of course. We all know that Raven has split 49 on the carry when she won that NCAA title for Oregon and the 4x4. Four four. She was on the, on the anchor. Raven's fast. So my, my coaching feeling is that um, as Raven gets stronger and stronger with my program, that she will be able to be there with the thing Mo with a hundred meters to go. And if anybody 
is with Raven with 100 meters to go. Um, I I I like Raven. I, I she's just so tough and she's just such a fighter. So really, that's my charge is to be able to get Raven where she's in a place coming off the turn that um, that she gets into a, a battle, just like Ajay did with with the thing at the U.S. Championships at the trials, right? Or even uh, Kiwi uh, took a thing all the way to the wire as well. If a thing, if you're listening to this, you know I love you and I have the highest amount of respect for you. We're just spitballing on ways here to beat you, uh, but it, it, and I think I think everybody is beatable, and I, I'm sure a thing knows that too, and that's why she's out there training today and tomorrow and the next. Yeah, there are some good races. We act like she's unbeatable, yeah. but there were a couple people right there with her, and she did beat them. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it's I it's women's aid is incredible right now. I mean, it's you know we talk about those those three, but then you had Raven, but then you've got uh, Mo, Mocha. Uh, Mo, uh, forget the pronunciation for the Kenyan. Uh, you got a really good Ethiopian athlete. Women's aid is in my mind. Uh, I'm sure there's some my sprint coach colleagues out there who disagree, but I think the women's aid is the strongest event in track and field right now. Yeah, no, it's amazing, especially for, I mean. Michaela Meyer, somebody. Oh, it's a tough event. Yeah, but but Michaela's up for the challenge. Might start running some fifteens, or you know. But we'll see. No, it, it, it's great right now, and and the sport needs rivalries, right? Federer needed Nadal. Nadal needed Djokovic. It makes the sport so much better. So hopefully, yeah. Raven can challenge a thing, Keeley, etc. Uh, she will. Yeah, I'm confident. in it. All right, so the meet this weekend, people can watch it online, right? Anything else they need to know? Yeah, so it's free online. Uh, brought to you by Hayward Magic. Um, so that was really cool of them. So everybody's just going to be able to jump on and watch the meet for free. But anybody who's in the Spokane area, I want them to come and pack that podium. Um, it's just going to be a super fun meet. It's a short meet. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, so high entertainment, fast, quick moving, great races. I think the tickets are only maybe five, 10 bucks to get into this. So it's an awesome, it's Friday night. So, I mean, why not bring, bring the family and the kids? It's, if there's no Gonzaga basketball game that night, so it, it should be perfect. But yeah, anybody else in the world, uh, tune in. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's, it's free. We're not charging anything. No paywall. Just, 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 uh, turn on your computer and watch some great racing. Is the prize money from Hayward magic too? Who do you get the prize money from? Uh, that's coming from Nike. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Nike. Thank you, Hayward Magic. Hayward Magic is Phil Knight, yeah. right? Essentially, is that a fair it, assessment? Uh, I, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think people always think I have like the inside scoop on this stuff, but I do believe it is there. There's funding from from our uh, our biggest track supporters. Yeah. And Phil Knight thank, is certainly. Thank you, Uncle Phil. Yeah. Thank you, Nike. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. this sport yeah. doesn't become a charity, but I think I think. You know what Phil does with some of his money will shape a lot of direction of what the sport goes. So, I, I like seeing Hayward Magic involved with things. Yep, yep, I agree. So yeah, we uh, but we appreciate everybody's support, and it's certainly meet we want to keep on the calendar. And uh, you know, let's start getting behind these pro meets. I think it's a good thing. It's the, it's the right move. World Athletics is doing the right thing, trying to channel everybody in the right direction, and uh, just. As it grows, we'll get more of uh, our top athletes from around the, our North American athletes, and um, 
I think it's going to be a, a, one of the pillar meets, at least in the winter, that athletes can count on. So I appreciate you guys even giving me a shout on and, and wanting to learn more. No, that's good. I, I realized I, I wasn't planning this, but I talked to you last year, th- this time of the year. So we'll make it an annual thing, an annual tradition. I love it. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Good luck this weekend. I'll see you in April, I guess, at the New Balance track as well. So glad that's on the books. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess I put uh, put that out there. So yeah, maybe I got to start figuring out a way to yeah make that happen as well. <laughs> there better not be some time trial race your teams at that weekend instead. Well, yeah, no, no, I put I put it out there, I, and I know you, I know your listeners will definitely call me out on that if we do it. So <laughs> all right, have a good afternoon. Thanks, Weldon. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks, Pete. All right, bye. We're with Andrew Colley. This is what I'm calling the Where Your Dreams Become Reality Athlete of the Week segment. Andrew had a big weekend getting second at the USATF Cross Country Championships. He's originally from Jamestown, Virginia. He was a high school star. He broke Allen Webb's state high school cross country record. Then he was an All-American at NC State, ran for the legendary Raleigh Geiger. He was seventh at the NCAA Cross Country in 2013. Then he turned professional, started running for Zap Fitness in North Carolina. He had some initial success right off the bat, made the 2015 World Cross Country Championship team for Team USA, snuck on that team, I think because Dathan Ritzenheim didn't go to Worlds, but represented the USA. Then he entered what many would call the frustrating part of his pro running career. Missed all of 2016, that's an Olympic year with injuries. 2017, he had a few minor results, but some hope at the end of the season as he was diagnosed with a rare condition called, you're gonna have to help me out, Andrew, popliteal artery entrapment syndrome, is that correct? Yes. We'll get into that in a minute, but that might've explained some of his injuries because 2018, first time healthy, he started seeing some good results. Third at the USA, half marathon championships 2019 things got even better another third place at the u.s half marathon championships 212 15 in the marathon that sets him up perfectly for the big daddy of them all the u.s olympic marathon trials but that one didn't go too well dnf then a thing called COVID hit wiped out all of 2020 then i think injuries bugs again wiped out all of 2021 we just recorded our main podcast. One of our guys said he didn't even know you were competing last year. Andrew returned last year. Some promising results. Seventh at the U.S. 10 mile and seventh at the U.S. 5K road championships in November. And that set him up perfectly for his breakout performance this past weekend where he ran 28.48 to get second place and book a ticket for the World Cross Country Championships in Bathurst, Australia. Congratulations, Andrew. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Of course. How does it feel to be back on a U.S. team? It feels great. Uh, it's been a been a long road, so that kind of I I, I said earlier that it going through all those dark times, you know, makes these bright moments shine a little brighter. So uh, it feels amazing, uh, and I'm just I'm just pumped to get together with the team and see if we can make some noise at the world championships. Yeah, the U.S. has you know, had some surprising success. I think, was it 
silver medal in Poland one year. It was really, really right. That that was my. I actually was on that junior team, and the uh, the women. Well, unless you're talking about the men, but the women got second the year I was in Poland uh, in 2010. Yeah, I mean we've had some good performances on the men's and women's side. So I want you guys to shock the world. We love. I love world cross country. You apparently love world cross country too. Loved it. Yeah, so much. Because you made the junior team, you made the senior right. team, and now, I mean, you had, what, seven years in between teams? Eight. Eight. Hey, or 2023. I forgot a year here. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, that's crazy. Like, you get out of college, you're pretty, I mean, you're a really good collegiate runner. Seventh in cross country is really good, but it's not enough to get, like, a you know, uh, recruited by Nike or somebody like that. So Zap picks you up. I think it's probably a good spot for you, right? Right. You have some of that success. You're probably thinking, okay, 2016. Yeah. I mean, we're all focused on the Olympics, right? I mean, at least I was when I was a runner. Yeah. Injuries wipe out that year. Right. Yeah, just completely. No, none at all. No running. Well, that's crazy. So t- 2017, you get to that diagnosis. I guess talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, well, 2017, I ran a few times and it was, it was like I was back in high school compete, but competing against professionals. Like I just was feeling terrible every day. Couldn't get my legs to recover. Um, and I kind of, uh, got kind of like the gun to the head and like, all right, Andrew, like you need to figure out what's going on or, um, we can't continue to, 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 back here running career. So I, I did a bunch of research um, and ended up figure out, figuring out that it could be an artery issue um, and went up to UVA and talked to one of the leading doctors who worked on some Tour de France guys. And I was like, hey, I'm having these issues. Uh, you have any ideas? And he did some tests and uh, turned out that my, my popliteal artery was basically fully trapped on the right side and 95% on the left. So he went and released that and uh, really cleared it up for me for had a pretty good year after that. Yeah, you did. It sounds like it's so for people we're talking beforehand, this injury, every time you like we're running like a one leg, there was 0% blood flow down to your like foot and stuff. I mean, that's crazy. You said the doctor thought the machine was broken, right? The first time, I did the arteriogram. He he was like, all right, we need to do it again because the machine's not picking it up. And then we did it again. He's like, oh, actually, it is picking it up. There's just nothing happening. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. So I guess for this is such a rare injury, but like, what were your symptoms in case somebody out there listening might have this? Yeah. For, for me, the symptoms were um, I had some strange abdominal issues, which is related to artery issues. And then my lower legs would just... I would do a workout in spikes and it would take three weeks for my legs to not feel like I just finished a spike workout. So it was just trouble with recovery in the lower legs and a lot of nervy stuff and cramping um, went along with it as well. It's kind of similar to like a compartment syndrome too. Yep. So you put that behind you. 2018, 2019, I mean, from an outside perspective, went pretty well for you. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, pretty solid. It was a, very low mileage. I, I think my first marathon build was I averaged 65 miles a week. 
Um, so not a lot of training, but uh, it was, I was able to get some good results out of that. And then getting into grandma's and running a few of the half champs, I was able to, to, to get back out there. I think, I, I think that year I also was able to break four and a road mile. So it, it was a good year and it was a fun year too. Yeah, I saw some list actually this week on Let's Run. It's like guys have run under two fifteen in the marathon and sub four the mile. You're on it. I'm not sure how many. I can't remember how many were on there, but it, it, it's it's a cool list to be on. I, yeah, the goal is the sub two ten list and the sub four list. That's the that's the real one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I was like two fifteen. You guys are being a little, you know, a little generous because. But <laughs> hey, I'm not on either one of those lists. So I, I, I would take either one. So heading into the trials, it's such a focus for everyone. Like, what were you thinking? Were your, did your preparations go well? I, I know you didn't finish the race, but kind of tell us what happened there. Yeah, my my prep went okay. I had some uh, struggles with my posterior tib, tibialis during the build. So I had to take a few days off here and there. And then actually in the trials, I tore my posterior tip. That's why I had to stop. Um, and then... After that, that that was immediately six months of nothing. Um, so that I I felt I felt it tear at mile eighteen, and I kept running till twenty one when I should have just gotten out of there. But uh, so so the buildup was okay, but I think it was kind of a clue to what was to happen at the trials when it tore. Yeah, we we convinced ourselves, right, that, oh, I can run through this. I, you have to. I mean, you want to make the Olympics. Right, exactly. When push comes to shove. So that happens. COVID hits. Right. I guess then you probably have, do you have a big decision then? Like, do I want to stay in the sport or kind of what's the thought process there? Not for me. I, I've been hurt so much that I feel like even though I am... 31 i have the legs of someone much younger than me just because i haven't been able to train that much because i've been hurt so much um so i mean i i still right now i'm looking at doing this for another 10 years if i can um so it never crossed my mind of quitting never and zap was always committed to you um they (laughs) they were definitely committed to me me and pete had to have a few hard talks but it was kind of like hey from a business standpoint, we might not be able to stand by you if you aren't able to get some results on paper, but you're always welcome to stay here and train with us. You just might have to figure out your own funding. Um, so they were always supportive. And to be honest, there's probably three or four years where they should have cut me because I just was hurt all the time. And most people would, but they stuck it out with me. And I'm hoping that I can make sure that that wasn't a mistake for them. No, I think you, I think you proved them right this past weekend. And, and Zap, yeah. it seems like in some ways like a family. I mean, until I think 2020 for the people who don't know, like Zap owns is a farm, the right word land in, in North Carolina up in the mountains. It's not a farm. It's not a farm. It's, 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 it's like a bunch of, it's around like 30 acres with, a big building in the middle of it. Um, and it's kind of down in the middle of nowhere. And that's where we'd hold our adult running camps. But, um, we don't, we don't live there anymore. Um, it true. It was something very unique. It was, most people who came to visit were like, this is very 
much like when I would picture a cult being, because it's just like in the middle of nowhere, singular building. And oh, we're gonna there's a bunch of professional runners living. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Like you guys l- literally lived in the same house, lived together. I guess it's like a right. family though, because I'm like, well, crazy, crazy shit must have been happening in there. But like. That happens oh, in my yeah. house with my family, you know, right. there just aren't right. 10 other people in the house, but. Right. Yeah. We had every night. So, um, in 2020, uh, Zika and Pete, the like, well, I guess Zika founded Zap and Pete came on and helps coach and run the program. They sold the land and said, we're, we're going to continue doing Zap, but everybody's mm-hmm. sort of going to live on their own. Right. So we just. Like anyone else, we're out our housing ourselves and uh, just be for practice. And do you guys train in the same? I mean, was that a huge transition for everybody? And do you guys train in the same places, same trails? Yeah, we we train at the same trails. You know, it was it was Zap was the facility was kind of so far away from everything else that it was a fifteen to twenty five minute drive to any of our running venues. So now, with the way we can choose where we live. Um, for me, at least, that's more like five to ten minutes now. So it's actually pretty nice. Oh, so you guys didn't actually run on the property? No, I mean we would do doubles on the property, but it was it was an eight hundred meter loop, and there was about a hundred feet of elevation change. So if you keep doing it, it it kind of would beat up your legs without, and it was very sneaky. Um, so, so we would just do doubles there, but we didn't actually do any workouts or training runs there. Yep. So you're, you get back to training last year. Wait, 2020, we get in 2021, you miss all of 2021. Right. I, I did do, yeah, I, I missed all of 2021. Right. Last year, you have some promising results at the end of the season. What are you thinking coming into this year? Um, I, I, We've kind of the past six months just done a done like a reset because I, I was injured in the first part of 2022. I had a torn labrum um, and I, di- I didn't have it surgically repaired or anything, um, but I kind of just got brainstorming with some PTs and we figured out like, OK, we need to just like rebuild you. And that and that has really been a huge difference um, with training now. And then, I mean. If you like baseball terms, uh, he is really big on saying, Andrew, we're just hitting, we're hitting singles, no doubles, no triples, no home runs every day. We're coming to practice and we're going to, we're going to get on base. So that's kind of the, the adoption that we've taken this fall. And I think it's the results have spoke for themselves. And I, I, I think I'm just going to keep hitting singles and see where it takes me. Yeah. It works pretty well this weekend yeah i mean i saw something from like an interview in 2016 like since junior high i haven't run more than 10 months in a row without being injured right and i think your performance this weekend you you know in college even it shows like your engine's pretty big when when it's running well but if it's breaking down all the time you can't you know you can't max it out right right so it's just the the name of the game is staying healthy and that's all i'm focused on really so coming into the race, were you confident in your chances or you just, what were you thinking? Oh yeah. I, I was pretty much planning on making that team. Um, I was, I was really hopeful to win and I thought that 
I thought that the way the race played out that I had a chance. Um, but I thought the, I thought the pack would be able to push enough to get back out with uh, Emmanuel, but he he got us and got too far away and we couldn't sneak him at the end. But um, yeah, going into that, I was I I was going into the race pretty much as if I was on the team. Well, that's a good good mindset to have. Yeah. Had your workouts gone really well, or you just sort of knew what level you were at? Um, yeah, the workouts, the workouts were, I, I really, every workout was easy. Um, training was going pretty well and my home States, Virginia, that's where I'm from originally. Uh, so I, a lot of my family could come up and see it. So I was really, I was really kind of just focused on their, uh, like I gotta, I gotta show up for my family on that day. Cause my, my, my grandma came out to watch and she hasn't seen me run since, uh, high school or early college. So it was really cool to run in front of them. And I was just like, I gotta, I gotta show off for them a little bit. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, the extra motivation running at home can't hurt. I'll say that much. Now looking ahead, what are the goals for world cross country? What are the goals for the rest of the season? Kind of how you thinking? Yeah. We got an Olympics next year. What's the thought process? Uh, goal for World Cross is to, I, I want to just see, I want to mix it up with the Kenyans and Ethiopians and see what Team USA can do um, versus them. And I know if I, if we want to do that, we're going to have to really throw down when we get there. So that's that's my goal for that race. Um, and then I've got a marathon coming up in the spring. Uh, so the goal is to run two O's and see how low two O's we can run. Um, and then which marathon are you doing? Rotterdam. Well, I like it. I like it. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to do, do that one. And, um, I, re- I really think a, a conservative goal is two Oh nine. So we'll see what can happen. And then, um, I, I want to run a real fast half in the fall leading up into the trials. Um, and get as close to that American record as possible. It's been, I haven't, I haven't gotten a chance to run a fast half in a long time. And I think, I think I've proven that I I can get a little dangerous over that distance, um, with the training and how it's been going. So I'd like to do something like Valencia maybe in the fall. And, uh, then, yeah, everything's all in on making that team. Yeah. You've run like, I think your PB's in Valencia, right? It is. It was. Uh, you went to Valencia, but you discovered Valencia before the rest of the running world. I feel like. How'd you even know about Valencia back then? I mean, it was. It wasn't on the radar as much as it is now. Yeah. Well, the year I ran it, they ran the world record. Oh. <laughs> but but they they I think they just like having Ray as my agent, and he just knew, of course he knows every in right. in and out of running, and uh, we we kind of messed up on the travel though, because I I didn't get there until like a day before the race and then i was very jet lagged and like stuffy nose and it was kind of a letdown but it was still pr um so i really want to get there and like get there a few days beforehand and like really crush one out of the park there so no fall marathon this year no fall marathon as of now um i guess if i do really well at rotterdam and there's a chance to have a place on the world team or something like that. Maybe that would be something we'd consider. Um, but as of now, probably not unless Rotterdam is just 
terrible. <laughs> you need to stay healthy. Yeah. Usually I might encourage you to do it, but hey, I'm not so sure. But hey, there's a yeah. world, uh, the world first world road running championships, so they've rebranded it in Latvia. And I think October 1st, we're going to have a half there. So okay. you could do Valencia and that or something. But yeah, that would be, it's crazy, cool. you know, like the Olympic trials are almost here. It's good to hear a marathon are already like sort of focusing at, you know, you're, you're coming back from the trials. Right. And any thoughts on the Orlando being the host? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it seems like it should be, it should be fun. I like, I like warm weather. So, um, that would be cool. I was, I was really hoping for Chattanooga because, uh, my old teammate, uh, Cameron Bean is from Chattanooga and, uh, it would have been really cool to, to, to race there and, uh, celebrate him because he passed away. So that I was really hoping for Chattanooga, but, um, you know, what are you going to do? I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot about that. That was tragic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so oh, that's, that's sidetracked now. I lost my total train of thought. One, oh my God. If you can break the American record in the half marathon, that thing needs to go. It's been around. So if a kind of more blue collar guy like you who's been through all these struggles is the guy who could do it. Yes. I am all for it. Like Kira D'Amato, like I said, that was the greatest story of all time. I mean, very cool. And she's a Virginian as well, so. Oh, yeah. So you guys are on this. Let's let's keep Virginia yeah. rolling. Uh, I guess let's end with, I think a lot of people can relate to your struggle. You've kept living the yeah. dream. Like, what motivates you along this time? Or what advice can you give to people sort of who are struggling like yourself and thinking, hey, I can be a pretty good runner? Yeah, I... I, I like to, I like to think back and I, I was, I was a good runner growing up, but I, when I started out, I was very mid, mid pack with all the people around me. And I just believed that why can't the next day be the day that I break through? And I just believe that every day, why can't I be the next, you know, Kiara D'Amato, you know, someone who didn't run for so long and then all of a sudden gets back into it and starts crushing it. Um, it's just like uh, uh, you have to have a firm and unbreakable belief in yourself and what you're able to do. And this world we live in is so crazy. What, why is it so crazy that you could be the next best runner? I think that's great advice. It's inspiring for sure. But one thing actually... I saw last night, yesterday, you guys announced that Zap lost its sponsorship from On. Right. So is the group looking for a sponsor for the whole group? Or are you guys going to can you ind get individual sponsors? What's going to happen there? Yeah, we're looking for a sponsor for Zap um, Endurance. Uh, I'm sure Ray is, Ray is heavy at work, Ray Flynn. Um, he's both my agent and the, the group's agent. So, um, yeah, we... Our our contract ended in 2022, so we're we've got we're fresh in 2023. Um, looking for new sponsorship, and uh, would love to would love to slap a logo on here. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, hey, on on missed out. Although you had their logo on during the race, but it was yeah it was nice. You guys still wear the jerseys; they look sharp. I'll say that much. Yeah, yeah. That was that was for some team unity because uh, yeah. we couldn't unit forms in time. Well, here's the 2023 and 2024. Hope you get the you guys get the sponsor and 
Oh my God, the American record or something? Unbelievable. Before that, good luck in Australia. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be there, but Jonathan Galt of Let's Run will be there, so covering awesome. it for everyone. So hope it goes well for you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us.